This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side, joined by, of course, Terry South and Jeffrey Simpson on the board. We've got a lot to talk about today. Remember, this is the show where we give you the information, the tools you need to live healthier, happier lives. We ought to start, if we want to make it healthy and happy, with Laugh and Get Rich Day. <laughs> Woo, thank you very much. All day long, we'll be talking about how to laugh and get rich. Apparently, this is the day encouraging laughter and uh, that'll elevate all parts of your life, including your pocketbook. I wonder how laughing, though, translates into dollars in your pocket. Well, I could understand if you were if you were the one that was causing laughter, like a comedian. Yeah, yeah. It's not really a monetary type of rich. It's just a rich kind but, of like a Cool Whip. But didn't you just hear that sound effect? Yeah, that I, sounded monetary. Yeah, it did. I think it's more like you're just going to have a rich life where everywhere you go, you can laugh. Yeah. Happier. I mean, you go to Walmart, you're just <laughs> like that. At, at Walmart? No, just at anything. Oh. And you've then, never laughed at Walmart? <laughs> have you ever not, not laughed at Walmart? I love Walmart. I really do. I love the deals. Mm. And then I just love the people. Mm. And You always love all people. I though. love smiling faces. Right. And there's a lot there. Lots of smiling deals there. Deals, is that what we call them? Deals? The the smiley face? What's that guy's name? I'm not sure. At Walmart. The rollback. The rollback. Great guy. Well, some people aren't smiling. We'll have to talk about this. Uh, apparently, Speaker, what do they call him? Uh, Senate Majority Leader McConnell. McConnell. Yes. Um, chastised. Elizabeth Warren. Warren. Mm-hmm. She was trying to read a letter from Claretta Scott King, yeah. wife of Martin Luther, Martin King, Luther King, Jr. That she wrote in 1986 about Senator Jeff Sessions when he was trying when he was going for a federal court appoint, appointment. Yeah. Yeah. She wrote a letter saying that he shouldn't be there because of his actions and the things that he has used his power in her mind to keep black people from voting. But that disparaged a senator. Yes, because there is a there is rules of decorum on yes. the Senate floor, and it's Rule 19. And so he cut her off. Which reads, yeah. no senator in debate shall directly or indirectly by any form of words impugn another senator or to other senators oh, any conduct or motive unworthy or unbecoming yeah. a senator. Interesting. How yeah. do you do that when you're debating the worthiness of, of a senator to become a member of the cabinet? No, but when you don't. You don't do that. And you don't disparage him in any direct or however they said it, indirect way. Right. Using Coretta Scott King's words is an indirect way. Which, Those darn impunity clauses. Which baffled Senator Warren. She said, I'm reading the words of – No, yeah, but it's all right there. Uh, by the way, I think we need an impunity clause on our show. Wow. Just Let's just call it uh, Clause 19. If I ever pull Clause 19. What about 1 through 18? Do we have those? No, nah, I don't. Okay. Whatever. Okay. Let's not overcomplicate it. Gotcha. Let's just start with the big one. This is that – when I was a kid, there was a Bill Cosby movie called Leonard Part 6. 
There was no explanation where one through five was. Did you just hear the guffaw well, right there? He did write an ostrich trying to be a secret agent, so it was kind of a weird movie. But. <laughs> this is the film that Bill Cosby himself uh, tried to Bill disown, Cosby. if I recall correctly. Yeah. Really? But it just there was a part six, and it's like where is one through five, and there was no one through five. So well, you, you couldn't even hold that in, could you, Jeff? But you there just w- had to like get the. <laughs> What about Mel Brooks' History of the World Part 1, but there was never Part 2? Well, I think when you say six, that. that would imply there's a one through five. When you say one... Well, I don't know. Didn't two? Star Wars start on, like, four? Yeah. Well, it wasn't originally entitled Episode 4. Yeah. It was just called Star Wars. You're so technical. Then it delivered, though. Well, sort of. It gave us, you know, four and five, which were okay. Yeah. Or five and six. Then it gave us one through three. and. <gasps> See, we got to get we got to get to this. We got to get back to we need Elizabeth rule 19. Warren nineteen. We'll do it for the team. Uh, I'll, I'll probably start posting the rules on the walls here. Oh, nice. We'll hang them up there. I don't think anyone's going to have a problem with that. No, no one will. So, so we, need- we need some kind of a sounder when we get off topic. Yeah, an off topic sounder. Wow, mm, that sounds. There you go. <laughs> sounds like we're waiting for someone. <laughs> Like oh, one. thanks for playing at home. I like that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> Be sure to spay and neuter your kids <laughs> from The Price is Right. No, don't spay and neuter your kids, just your animals. Hey, um, we'll get to all of that fun with what's going on in the Senate and the reprimand there because that's now having some serious backlash along with President Trump is uh, waiting for the findings from um, the justices in the appellate court. So – all that fun straight ahead. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Despite efforts by Democrats in the final hours, the U.S. Senate voted on Tuesday to confirm Betsy DeVos as the next Secretary of Education. DeVos's nomination faced fierce opposition from Democrats and two Republican senators. After those GOP defections, the vote ended in a 50-50 tie. Vice President Mike Pence, who serves as the president of the Senate, cast a tie-breaking vote in favor of of DeVos. It was the first time in history Vice President had to vote in a cabinet confirmation to break a tie. Marco Rubio may have made his campaign donor Betsy DeVos happy on Tuesday when he voted to confirm her as Secretary of Education, but he ticked off a lot of his constituents who were calling him out for previously accepting nearly 100,000 in campaign donations from DeVos and her family, the Miami New Times reports. Wow. There are several senators who are facing in- similar... Well, including one that didn't vote for, the one of the only Republicans that voted against her. Yeah. Received about $43,000 from DeVos's So either she's a wonderful person that will lead the Department of Education, that's great, or someone who purchased herself a secretaryship. Mm -hmm. There's no middle ground there. Oh, she should be both. (laughs) She could be both. On Tuesday evening, three judges from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals heard oral arguments on President Trump's travel ban. I love how everyone's just calling it a ban now. Yeah. The president called it a ban, so it's a ban. No, it's their words. Their words. And an attorney representing the Trump administration saying the executive order temporarily barring travelers from seven Muslim-majority countries from entering the country was valid under the Constitution and asking that the court rule a a, a federal judge was wrong last week when he suspended the ban. The case against the administration 
was brought by the states of Minnesota and Washington. The Solicitor General of the state of Washington said the court must serve as a check on the executive on executive abuses. Mm. Before the hearing, the court said it would most likely make a ruling this week, but not yesterday. They're not going to do it at no. the moment. It'll be in the next few days. Hey, we're not in a hurry. And they're waiting. Uh, morning consult poll, 54% of voters somewhat or strongly approve of Trump's executive order banning citizens of seven uh, Muslim countries from entering the U.S., while 38% disapprove. Hmm. So public opinion there is kind of on Trump's side, it looks right. like. Severe weather uh, ripped through southern parts of the U.S. on Tuesday, causing extensive damage in Louisiana. 31 people injured Tuesday when uh, many of seven tornadoes touched down in Louisiana, prompting a declaration of a state of emergency. About 9,400 residents lost power during the storm, and, and it's not expected to be restored for as long as five days. I know that. Those storms are crazy, and apparently... A nor'easter is about to hit the East Coast later today and into tomorrow morning. Right. It's going to get ugly. Uh, flooding on the West Coast. As severe uh, rainstorms are hitting there. And there, there was this, I saw yesterday in Seattle a house was pushed off its foundation. Yeah. All kinds of crazy Second stuff happening. Second coming, millennium. And finally, the cost of the average American wedding reaches a, retro, a record-breaking figure. What, what do you, how much does it cost uh, for an American wedding nowadays, Matt? You're the uh, love doctor. Well, let me ask you. You have certain events the, coming up to celebrate yeah, love. To celebrate love. And, and to teach people. How much does a wedding cost? Is a Waffle House involved? No. Okay. Then I'm going to go with the average wedding costing $23,000. $35,329. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of love. It is. Uh, according to a survey of 13,000 brides and grooms who tied the knot last year. So they pulled this from current data. 35000 $35,000. Sheesh. The most expensive place to get married, Manhattan. That's $78,000. Yeah. Don't go there. Arkansas is the cheapest at $19,000. See, that's where you go. That's right. Have it at the Waffle House in their uh, overflow room. They open those accordion doors up and you're in. Hang some beautiful lace. Ah. So there you go. $35,000 to get married. Just it's go to crazy. Vegas. Just elope. Yeah, I'm going to Vegas this uh, weekend. Are you going to get uh, married twice or for it's the second time? My, we're celebrating the my Chapel 25th Love? anniversary. Drive through? Yeah, we're going to do a little drive through. Don't get out of the car. It's no. not worth it. But we will turn it off. We don't want to idle. Oh, yeah. Through your wedding. Think of the environment. Yeah. <laughs> Those fumes are plus noxious. Your, plus, your vows are pretty lengthy. Oh, yeah. Like a 12-pager. Got a 12-page vow I've got to read. By the way. What? This may help us get back on track. Okay. We kind of got derailed got off track by again. some... I believe things I said derailed us. That's yeah. That mm-hmm. was good. Um, during the presidential campaign, now President Trump spent a lot of time on Twitter focusing on how much golf President Obama played. Yeah. He goes, we have a lot of problems in this country, and he's playing golf again. And it was just, just... golfing. and So yesterday... Uh, some reporters looking at the fact that over the weekend, President Trump played some golf. He did. Yeah, he went to Mar-a-Lago and he played some golf. And he's going to Mar-a-Lago this weekend too. Probably to play some more golf. So then they looked at, well, how does this work? So so he gave him all the flack during the campaign. Trump certainly didn't waste any time getting on the golf course himself after he was sworn into office. Politico noted Tuesday that while Obama waited a full four months into his presidency before hitting the greens, Trump waited two weeks. (laughs) Yeah, but you gotta you gotta get out there and maintain that natural tan and glow about you. Yeah. And you can't do that unless you get outside. There's no other way to make your skin color that color. Oh, there. There's a few other ways. 
like rubbing a mango on your there's face. A, there's a reporter from CBS Radio who tracked how many rounds of golf that President Obama played because he had to wait in the parking lot as part of the press pool. Oh, really? Every so time. He, oh, can you imagine just sitting there? You don't even get to go golf. It's your job. Could you go hit a bucket of balls while you're waiting? I'm not sure if he's following the president now because I'm not sure how the the pool works. But uh, did you see yeah. the pictures of President Obama kite surfing? I did. He's having a lot of fun with Mr. Branson. He seems like a man with no cares all of a sudden. Oh, what a relief! <laughs> Leader Seriously. of the free world one week, the next week, eh? You do your job, you're done. Then you're just kite surfing with what's his name, Branson? Richard Branson. Richard Branson. Virgin Airlines. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about that. If you're going to hang out with somebody, you want a billionaire. Oh, yeah. They have all knows the how to have he fun. Flew, he flew in his helicopter last week. That's fun. Yeah. So should he hang out with uh, Donald Trump? Later. Okay. When they're when Donald's – In a couple of years when he's well, done. When Donald's maybe, done. Maybe when he releases his tax records and we know exactly if he is a billionaire or not. Why, does, why do people ever think he'll release his tax records? Well, I mean, then I guess him and Obama don't hang out. Yeah. Only proven billionaires is where President that's Obama right. goes. You that's what, that's when you know who your real friends are. When your tax returns are released, your yeah. friends are like, I don't even know you anymore. <laughs> thought you were a billionaire. You're, it just, turns a out mul- you're, you're just a multimillionaire. Yeah, oh. You are such a liar. <laughs> hey, so do you remember uh, CNN? Know I was better than you. Apparently, CNN didn't want to hang out with Kellyanne Conway. Yes, they questioned her integrity. And then they, Jake Tapper ended up having her on as a guest. Yesterday during the White House briefing, the press secretary said, I believe CNN's retracted this. Before the briefing was over, CNN's PR people on Twitter put out, uh, no, we did not retract that. We still have questions about her integrity. Those are the facts. But then they had her on her, their show. Alternative then, facts. Then she was on the show later that afternoon. So A 25-minute interview. It was a really good interview. And in that interview, there was a little um, there was a little news made. Yes. Because Kellyanne kind of backed off of what Donald had said earlier. Listen to this clip. Inside are we White fake House. news, Kellyanne? Is CNN fake news? No, I don't think CNN is fake news. I think there are some reports um, everywhere. In print, on TV, on radio, in conversation, that are not well researched and are and are sometimes based on falsehoods. There you go. So CNN is not fake news, according to her. This just in: CNN not fake news. Um, but it really it, it was an it, he was intense. Jake Tapper was peeved to say the least. There was a couple times where he he had to do like a. He like shook his head like you see on the commercial on the uh, cartoons where they're like what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, she was trying to right. spin something. Like, it was especially on the the ter- <laughs> exactly on the terrorism one where he's like he shows like a, a screen of like it looked like twenty different uh, video screens right. of all the reporters that CNN's had across the world because, covering all these different terrorist attacks. Yeah. And you're telling us we don't cover these terrorist attacks. And she goes, well, some media are starting to look at it as terrorism is just a way of life. And so it's not as serious. They're normalizing it. Who's doing that? Everyone sees it. Everyone I know of sees it as being very serious. And then she like talked about veterans affairs. People. Yeah. Which is how she changed the topic. (laughs) Another question is uh, that Kellyanne cleared up is there because there's all these accusations that Donald and Putin are best Friends, our president and the president and leader of Russia, best friends, Kellyanne Conway, clean that up as well. The question is asked, and I think a lot of this stems from the fact that there's just seems to be charge and accusation after charge and accusation that somehow President Trump and Vladimir 
uh, Putin are, are BFFs. That is not true. He made very clear, I think most recently and most vividly, at his joint press conference with the Prime Minister of the UK, Theresa May, that he, President Trump, hardly knows Vladimir Putin. And he said that day, Jake, and I think that's what we should all refer to here, he said that day that Perhaps he'll have a positive relate. It's possible he'll have a good relationship with Vladimir Putin. It's it's possible that he won't. But if we can come together on big issues vexing this world, like defeating radical Islamic terrorism, pushing back ISIS, which is on the advance, then he will join with other countries that wish to do that, including President Putin. There you go. So two pieces of news so far. CNN is not fake news. Not fake news. Putin and Trump are not BFFs. They're just BFs. Best friends. Do you Not think best friends forever. In the day, this day of fake news, do you think Brian Williams would have gotten in trouble if no. it had happened today? If it was happening today, everyone would laugh at Brian and think, you uh, silly goose. I don't know. Well, his press cohorts wouldn't. His friends wouldn't. Yeah. In the press. I think he'd still lose his job. Do you? And then get another, one, really? on, get another one on MSNBC. I think, I think it would be less think... of an issue today. Really? The yeah. fact that he said he covered things that he wasn't even there for or saw yeah. things that never happened. Or, but okay. just well, go I mean, back and look at everything that Trump said during the campaign. But, but he's not a member of the press that's, that uh, you know attempts to have some sort of you right. know, standard of journalism integrity. But he's right. running – he was running for president of the United States and that's I would think that's a higher fine. standard. I, I, like he said, prove you would it. Think you know? so. And then you get into this argument where you can't actually prove things. It's it weird. should. I mean, ideally, it should be that way. But, I mean, I think that they would say they have to do that. But right. I think he'd be right back in place because he gets good ratings. Right. That's why he's back. That's why he's back. And this one, this last clip shows kind of Jake Tapper, the interviewer from CNN, was you could kind of hear some of the uh, kind of anger, not anger, mm-hmm. but motivation he was having in, in discussing with her on clip six. Here. President's statements that are false, like the murder rate is the highest it's been in almost half a century. False. How about the fact that the media doesn't report on terrorist attacks? False. I'm talking about the president of the United States saying things that are not true, demonstrably not true. That is important. Well, are they are they? More important than the many things that he says that are true that are making a difference in people's lives. I just think we want coverage they distra- of that as well. They distract from them. They distract if from the things covered, he says. They do. And I think, look, I think I was handed um, a fact sheet that perhaps the president was referring to when he talked about that today with the sheriffs, which, by the way, was an unbelievably productive, moving listening session that I attended. But when he talks about. I mean, he says some true things and we never talk about how great those are. So he's he's constantly playing a game of two truths and a lie. Yeah. But then the media only obsess about the lie. Hello. There were two truths there too. That's so negative. What a negative yeah. view. What a negative view. If he could change it to four truths and a lie. That would be a step in the right direction. Yeah. Numerically. Yeah. I mean, if we're going by numbers. Yeah. That's the way to do it. He Just loves numbers, by l- the way. A little advice, exactly. A little advice for the Trumpster. Just turn it to four truths and a lie. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Coming up in a minute, we're going to be getting into this uh, this idea called spear phishing. Have you ever heard of it? Not the one in the water, but instead the one online. You may be a target for spear phishing. It did bring down Hillary Clinton. It brought down uh, Podesta, her uh, campaign chair as well. You got to watch out for it, friends. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be safer on the internet. (music) 
Each time we go on the computer or open an app, we open ourselves up to spear phishing. Today, technology not only fights for our attention, but connects all aspects of our lives. This applies to everyone, from your children's teachers to our highest public officials. Are we opening ourselves up to attacks each time we access the Internet? Here to speak with us today is Arun Vishwanath, an associate professor of communication at the State University of New York at Buffalo. He's going to walk us through some of these uh, little tricks they try to play on us. Arun, thank you for being with us today. Hey, thanks for thanks for having me, Matt. This is, um, I mean, spear phishing. It's a term I'll have you describe for us in a minute, but. This this tactic, this technique um, has has really. I mean, John Podesta fell prey to this little technique. Uh, the Clinton campaign chairperson, Hillary Clinton's private email server, was brought down a similar way. Um, talk about spear phishing and and what is it? How 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 are they tricking us to to get into our emails? Oh, I, I can talk about spear phishing. You know, this is this has been an insidious attack that is you know going back a few years now. Uh, I first started writing about it. I wrote a piece on CNN in 2014 when people really stood up and took notice of the first major spear phishing attack, which everybody got to know about, which was the Sony Pictures attack. Yeah, uh, that's one of the first attacks that you know really brought this to the public attention, uh, where you know they in, in return for because because you know North Korean hackers wanted to teach uh, Sony a lesson. For putting up a movie yeah. right, about 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 their 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 leader, um, and that's one of the first attacks that we really see. I've been working in this area, you know, going four or five years before that, and I was one of the few people who was working in this area. And and in a side story here, when I started working on it, people were talking about remember the Nigerian attack where you would have an email that would be from some Nigerian prince who wanted you right. to give him his credit card number, his your bank account number. Uh, and when I was working in that area, people were laughing at me, saying, hey, why are, we, why are you studying something? We all know this is fake. <laughs> yeah, we knew that was fake. But what came after that is something that most, even the most educated, trained people, you, me, any of us, any of our audience, so are really, probably going to fall for. Yeah. So Sony fell for it. DNC has fallen for it. Hillary Clinton's emails fell for it. Some would say, argue the presidency was a, fell because of all of it. It's and spear phishing is what it's just. It's where somebody, usually, I guess it would be a hacker who's sending this out, sends you some email that you open up and then give personal information. Well, it, it, they come in com- a couple of different ways. So one form of spear phishing. So we distinguish between you know just phishing, which was what used to be the Nigerian scam, yeah, and spear phishing, which is much more targeted. So you get an email. So Matt gets an email. It looks like an email that comes from either somebody you know or it looks like somebody like a bank or a friend of yours. Now, these emails are of two types. One of them has an attachment in it. And the most common attachment is a PDF document or a Microsoft Word document. And the email asks you to basically open it. That's it. Um, you open that document. Nothing happens. You close your, you know, your, your email, you see the document. Sometimes there is a real document, sometimes there isn't. But what it does is it opens a back door into your computer. And unbeknownst to you, the hacker now has access to your computer, your files. And through your files, depending on how your network is configured in your company, he goes through the entire network. So that's one type of attack that we see, which, which is what I call an attachment attack, because it's an email attachment. And the second type of spear phishing attack is where, you know, they... You do have a hyperlink in your email. You click on the hyperlink. It takes you to another website. 
which runs a script, or it takes you to a website that's a fake page. So you get a fake Gmail login page. You say, all right, I got to enter my login credentials. Unbeknownst hmm. to you, your login credentials are now mine. That's the, that's the attack that got down uh, John Podesta and many of the DNC people. These attacks are very easy to craft. Um, and I've been studying this. You know, the way we study this is we actually make these pages and we conduct these fake attacks on, you know, of course, uh, you know, human subjects approved uh, recruited volunteers. Uh, and uh, it is just uh, it's amazing how successful they can be. And keep in mind, you just need one victim. You need one John Podesta to bring down, let's say, arguably a presidential campaign. Mm, that is crazy. Really, you only need one person in, on the team to make the mistake. Um, I don't know if you heard about this. There, there was um, some news out of Florida, Manatee County School District. This is brand new that basically somebody sent an email uh, uh, talking there, I guess they have 7,700 school employees and somebody sent an email basically saying, send us all the WTs for of everyone that worked in the school district in 2016. And then apparently they did it and, yeah, and, and they just gave the social common. security numbers of 7,700 right. school workers. That's right. And Matt, this is very common. You know, we think of hackers as being, you know, some kid sitting in his mother's basement and nothing could be further from the truth. You know, hackers today are sophisticated operators. Uh, they don't just send you an email. They know who you are. They're sending you an email that's crafted to deceive you. Hmm. So, these, so, so this time of the year is, is tax return season. So now the attacks, the same hacker changes his attack. And we saw this last year. We saw many of these attacks, the exact same attack, where they would send an email to a person in accounting saying, hey, could you send us the w So these are attacks know who the victim is yeah. and use use a simple hook and say, hey, can you send me the email? And, and invariably people send it. And there are many different forms of this. You know, they can do it via phone calls, right? And, and just to give you an idea of how big this enterprise can be, uh, a couple of months ago in India, they busted a ring of uh, over 100 telephone operators who were calling Americans in the IRS scam, which is basically calling people and saying, hey, we're from the IRS, you need to give us money for because we are going to put a tax lien on you. Hmm. They, they generated over $100 million uh, within a two to three year period. So you can understand the monetization of these businesses. They have the time, the money, the resources, and the manpower to do the search, to study Matt Townsend, to, to say, hey, what's on his Facebook profile? What's on his Twitter feed? Let's go and figure out where he is. Let's send him an email that we know he will fall for. So, oh. you know, that's what we're dealing with here. We're not just dealing with some kid sitting in his mother's basement. We're, we're dealing with sophisticated operators working out of corporate offices uh, in Russia, in different parts, anywhere in the world, I mean, really. Um, and really... And everybody falls for it, all right? I mean, these school districts are just one end of it. I don't know if you, if, if you, if you learned about the ransomware attacks that are happening. They are spear phishing emails as well. And, uh, and so, Explain those, because those have made some news lately as well. Right. And in a ransomware attack, same idea. You get an attachment in an email that comes to you. You click on the attachment, and now the attachment opens a PDF. And what that does is it basically encrypts everything on your computer. And it spreads like a germ, like a virus, and it spreads through your network. And, and basically every file, every document in your network, even in your connected drives, some of them can go into your Dropbox, you know, your cloud accounts, and basically encrypt everything. Mm. And so everything is gibberish, and then some of them open a window, and the, the hacker chats with you, and he says, hey, you got 24 hours to pay me 
X amount of money. And if you don't pay me, I'm just going to throw away the key. And basically, you'll lose everything. And, and just to give you an idea, there were hospitals that have paid the ransom. Uh, you know, just in 2016 alone, police districts, sheriff's departments have paid money. Uh, you know, corporate offices, mom and pop stores. And it's, this is something that is so big, most people don't even report it. And yeah. the reason they don't report it is because it happens so quickly. Well, and and it also doesn't mean they still didn't steal all of your information or that they're not yeah. going to come back in a week for more. That's right. And and they're smart. What they do is they'll charge you, you know, based on what they think you'll give, 500 bucks. I mean, they don't want to not give you your, 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 your you know, key back. Right. They want to make the money. So they're going to give you, it's, it's usually a thousand bucks. For the L.A. hospital, it was $5,000. I wrote about that last year. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's a $5,000 limit, and they paid for it. You know? And if you, go to the, if you go to the FBI right now, they're going to tell you to just pay for it. They're actually going to tell you just pay because there's really nothing we can do, yeah. which is kind of the scary part, right? That is. Uh, there's really nothing even law enforcement can do in the short term to help you. Wow. Are we, are we doing what we can? And, I mean, after the break, we'll get in detail as to what we should be doing just, I guess, as average folks. But, I mean, can people stay up on top of it? Can we, can we do this? It seems like they're, they're way ahead of everybody. We'll have to get into it. Aaron Vishwanath, when we come back, we're talking hackers, folks, and uh, fishing and spear fishing as well. All different tricks they're playing on us to take whatever they can from us and gain leverage, really, in the end. Are we safe? We'll find out. Some really powerful tools, I think, to, uh, that are, by the way, already available to you on how to protect yourself. When we come back, stick with us. Welcome back, friends. We are talking about uh, your safety online and your security. Really, there's there's so many different ways that people can can get into your system. And so we've asked a security, a cybersecurity expert, um, to to join us. He, it's uh, Arun Vishwanath is currently an associate professor of communications at State University of New York at Buffalo. He's globally known as a cybersecurity expert and uh, is frequently on CNN as a contributor there on the subject of cybersecurity. Arun, again, thank you for being with us. Good to be here, man. Talk talk to us about uh, our you know, are we safe as far as our companies? Are they on board? Are they protecting it? Are the average organizations ahead of this game? Uh, you know, the short answer is no. Uh, we just are not. And the reason for it is, uh, you know, if you look at the data coming out right now, it used to take about three years ago, it would take about a year to, to discover a breach. So what that means is the bad guys would be in your system for up to a year. Oh. Uh the sobering reality is that number has gotten marginally better. So it still takes up, up to, let's say, about nine to ten months. That's still not good enough. So let me give you some examples, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, the OPM hack. You remember that one? The breach which, you know, we, we yeah. lost about 20 million security credentials. Uh, some of the most, you know, individuals from the TSA all the way to, uh, you know, operatives. Uh, and uh, those, the bad guys were in the system for almost a year and they were only discovered accidentally. 
and and, and this is the, our government's protection. This, this is the people in the know. Yeah. Right? I mean, think about that. Now, uh, let's look at, you know, this year or uh, late last year, we had the Yahoo breach. Right. It was close to 1.5 billion credentials with a B. Those bad guys were in the system for almost a year and a half. And they were discovered because the bad guys were selling the credentials and someone else found it. Man. It wasn't something that was discovered proactively, right? I mean, right. That, that's the sobering reality. Now let's look at DNC. Those guys were in the system since March, six, seven, eight months ago. So, so we, we know that our, our, our method of detection, right, on a proactive basis has not gotten that much better. It has gotten a little better. Right? So we're, we're fixing some things, but we got to be doing this on a war footing. I mean, this is we're 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 literally in a in a siege battle where the bad guys are ten paces ahead of us. Mm. Uh, what and, what and we really really need to take this seriously. And I don't want to scare people, but you know, after and I've been trying to write about this and bring it to the people's attention for the past uh, you know four years, uh, two years uh, in the media as well. And, and finally, people are starting to take notice and saying, hey, this is this is our democracy, our way of life, every institution out there that's at risk. Yeah, we need to get on it. What are the signs uh, that we need to be looking for? And then what can we do to actually prevent or decrease our exposure? Well, you know, think about it this way, right? So I use this analogy in my, when I talk about this. Uh, think about the Internet as, as a house that's built by a lot of different engineers but with a lot of doors and windows. You have so many doors and windows that you don't know where the bad guys can come in from, right? I mean, if you built a house and lived in that, you're going to be incredibly unsafe. Right. And what do we do when we do that? One, we reduce the number of doors and windows. So you make it harder for the bad guys. This is why if you look at most all across the country, all across our country, most houses are just, you know, one or two entry points, right? Because Smarter. it also makes it easier for us to protect it. It also makes it easier for us to monitor it. It also makes it easier for us to say, hey, there's a bad guy. Let's sequester him in one space. And that's how we got to think about this. Right? So when we think of security, we're looking for this magic solution that's going to be a technology that's going to catch all these emails coming in. It just doesn't exist. No. Right? We've been trying every company, the tech companies, you can believe me. You know, I work with government agencies. I work with tech companies. I work with Silicon Valley companies. Every one of us has been trying this in many different ways. And the thing is that it's impossible to stop this because the weak link here is not the software, it's you and I. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, I can build the most beautiful safe with many, many locks, but if you give the key away, nothing in this world can stop me from getting into that safe. Right. And so we have to build defenses around you. We've got to reduce the number of doors and windows so that you can't give these keys away. And even if you do... The bad guy can't enter beyond the first door. And that would be passwords eventually? I mean, because the doors we're, – we're getting online so many different ways, right? Every That's app right. can open up two or three more doors, and right. you have hundreds of apps. So we have so to shut as many of those as we can, I guess. Well, you got apps. you got devices, right? So you yeah. have you know, everything from Amazon Echo to you know, your, your, your you know, video cameras at home. you got so many devices coming in. You have so many different mobile devices coming in. You have apps on top of it. You have computer programs. You're bringing your stuff to work. You're bringing it back home. So a few things that all of us can do, right, is getting better at password management, right? One of the most basic things. What are all these guys after? They're after passwords, right? But that's the, what were they after? They were after his password. The moment I get your credentials, I got most of the things that you have. Hmm. 
So how do we protect credentials? It's very simple, right? One, make your password something that are unique, that are long, that are unique, and kept in a way in which no one else can get access to it. But that's just one step, right? The second is, right now, almost every company out there allows you to have what is called as two-factor authentication. Right? So what is two-factor authentication? You put your password in, but you need one more data point that you need to enter. It could be something you have on you, like uh, something that's sent to your phone. It could be a code. It could be another device you have. Um, so you need to enter one more, one more piece of information. So the, the problem today is most companies support it. Many companies support it. Amazon does. Google does. But they don't enable it. Mm-hmm. That's left to Matt, and that's left to Arun, and that's left to Terry. And they say, hey, you guys go do it. Most of us don't do it. Yeah, and even I did it. I did it, and it complicated my life so much that I, I undid it. But that's the point. That's it. Hey, you yeah. know, it adds a few seconds. Yeah. Think about it. Those few seconds could make the difference oh, yeah. between an election. Right. right. Arguably, an election. So, so if, you're, if your email has got really nothing, don't do it. But if you, if you are running some enterprise that requires password management, do it. Reduce the number of doors. Right. That reduces your entry point. Boy, and it's so easy, yeah. It's so easy. You know, it's free. Do it. The second thing, and there's a lot of these free things, right? So all your devices, my computer does. I I use a Mac. PCs do this too. Have some kind of a resource manager, an activity manager. Keep an eye on that. So my activity manager tells me, all right, here's how many files are coming in and out. If you notice something, you notice something right off the bat. Most of these are discovered accidentally. So, So OPM was discovered because some guy noticed that there was something that he had done which he hadn't done which was some data going out. So if you just keep an eye on some of these history files and say, hey, what, what did I do? Well, I didn't do this. If I didn't do it, something's wrong. Simple thing, right? Yeah. Um, so, so the analogy is, you know, back in the day when all of us used to physically use credit cards, and a lot of us still do, I would not sign the back of my credit card. I would say check ID on it. This way, at least I'm forcing the bad guy, if he ever got my card and somebody did once, to be, you know, for, for, for physical proof. It's a very simple step, but it helps add one more layer to the process. Yeah. So, and this, this idea that I'm talking about is something I've written about, and it's not just my idea. It's something, you know, the NSA has come up with something called the adversary obstruction model. It's, they have a whole white paper on this, which basically talks about how do you make it harder for the bad guys once they're in the system? Right. So, so two-factor authentication is that is that something you can crack? Of course you can. Right. If I'm really motivated, I can crack two-factor authentication. I, there are there have been mechanisms of beating that too, but I'm making it that much harder. So something like a Podesta doesn't happen that easily. Mm-hmm. Right? So you got to work that much more. Uh, so if I've got if I'm dealing with PII W2s and all this information, there's got to be one more layer that I have to go through before I get access to those. What what about is is there any way to just not open something? I mean, if I don't open something unless I know the person, am I safer? Not really, because you know the bad guys can. You know, if there was a Yahoo script that was running for a couple of years, where I could basically go into right. your Yahoo address book and send an email from everyone in that address book to everyone. That's true, that. huh? Right, and so that doesn't solve it. It makes it a little easier, yes. But it doesn't. So we've got technologies that try to do exactly that. So it's called whitelisting emails. So basically what we do is we'll say, you know, only the emails that are allowed from this and this domain can come in. Hmm. Right? That's another layer. And that's an effective layer. 
right? I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. That's another one of those things that you have to do at the organizational level. So if you're a corporate, you know, you got to say, let's have some kind of whitelisting mechanism. What I also say on top of that is right now, one of the biggest things we do is we try to train everybody. We say, let's educate, let's train, let's tell Matt to take lessons, let's take, you know, a room and, you know. Yeah, we need know, to, that's so true. We need more training. But but the point is, Matt, here's the sobering reality. It's not only about training, right? Because we have been training people for the last four years, and we're still getting breaches. It's not (laughs) just training. It's also how we train, right? I mean, here's what's going on right now. Right now, President Trump is going to put out his cybersecurity executive order, and he's also going to call for more training. You know, President Obama did that. We had training and training and training. Here's Here's the chilling reality of that. Our training doesn't work. It has a very marginal effect because training is like uh, today what we do with cybersecurity training is like uh, giving, a, you know, you go to the doctor and he gives you the same pill, regardless of who you are. There's no diagnostic. It's just like, here's a training pill. Go take it. Right. If you don't get better, I'll give you twice the training pill. You don't get better, I give you three times. And then if you don't get it, I start blaming you. I said, hey, there's something wrong with you. Hmm. So and that's, true. That's, the, that's, that's, the, that's the sobering reality. So, so. What we're saying, what I've done in my work is, you know, we've come up with a diagnostic tool, right? Just like you go to the doctor. I want to diagnose what is it that Matt's doing that's different, that requires a pill that might be a little different. So, so we have you know, research models that we have developed by phishing people, by studying why they fall victim to different kinds of attacks. And mind you, these could come in social media, phone, and all these different mechanisms. And we have a model. And it tells us, you know, some people get fall for a certain reason. Some people fall for certain other reasons. There are cognitive reasons. There are behavioral reasons. There are habitual reasons. There are patterns. And we have a risk index that we have developed. My research has developed it. And what we do is we come up with a number from 0 to 100 that tells me, okay, what's max risk? And what does that 0 to 100 come from? Hmm. If you're at an 80 or a 90, I need to do more protections around you. I need to not just train you, but train you in certain specific ways. Yeah, I'm a walking virus. <laughs> I mean, I, but it's good to know, it, right? It would be good to know. know who's sick, right? I know. And, Wouldn't you want to know that? Totally. If, if you're, and, and if you are a walking virus, we got to make a decision. Do we give you less technology or do you even need that much technology? Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, do totally. Do we need to train you? Do you have the time for training or do we want to just protect the enterprise and have you get access a different way? No, that's smart. I mean, that's business. Right. That's smart, smart business. Man, yeah, Arun, the, we need it. That's the simple way to do it, man. Yeah, we that's totally do. That's the way to do it. And unfortunately, you know, here's the, here's the reality. Training right now is a business, right? It's a billion-dollar enterprise. Right. It's a cottage industry of training companies. They all have their internal data that shows it, it works. But when you look at the real data, it's like, wait a minute, it works, but only for a day. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow morning, Matt wakes up next week. He's watching the Super Bowl. He gets a phishing email during it, and he clicks it, and it's all over. <laughs> it's all over. It's game over. You know, Brady wins, but... You know, Matt's company also went under with that. Everyone, everyone else is infected. Well, Arun, we appreciate it. Uh, this is, I think, great insight, and I, I love the diagnostic approach. Even if you could decrease my my uh, problem from eighty percent, you know, vir- virus driven or laden down to forty percent, you'd still save me a ton of headache. Um, interesting stuff. We appreciate it again, Arun Vishwanath. We will. Uh, We'll take, a, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking with McKenna Baus about life, about stumping us. She likes to give us some curveballs here. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends. The Matt Townsend Show. McKenna Vouse is joining us. She is uh, the producer that always throws us a little curveball, tries to stretch our brains a little bit. Today, McKenna, you're talking about she sheds. I am. No, she's talking to us about life. What is a she shed? The woman equivalent of the man cave. Really? So we're yes. going to put our women out in a shed? I think I, my I wife think it's would. It's a little, you know, it's by choice. Okay. So it sounds a little so, better. Yeah, than it's that. not because it's just. So with a shed, it could be a room, though. Yeah. It could be the garage. It could. It could. Do women want a shed? So they're actually really starting to take off. Um, a lot of women are either building them and having to get all these zoning permits mm. in order to add basically these extra little houses in the back of their yards, or they're kicking their husband's tools out of the shed into the garage and <laughs> they take them over and redo them. And yeah, they what's, look like beautiful little palace houses. Well, what's going? What's on? In, what happens inside the she shed? It varies woman to woman. Um, You get some women who are using them as yoga studios, like little places just like cozy up with a book and have their friends over for book club. Um, Some of them, you know, use them as craft rooms and other people use them as, you know, rowing studios. It's just sort of like your me space. Your place where you could go. Now, I thought I thought the man cave idea was because men felt like they didn't have anywhere else to go in the house because the women had already pretty much dominated the entire house. You know, I can't speak for the experience of men. <laughs> because, like, it used to be that women would decorate the bathrooms, they decorate the kitchen, they decorate the rooms, they had lots of pillows, lots of pillows on the bed. I thought it was just a subtle way of telling the men that you belong in a cave. <laughs> Go to this place that where... So, so women now have another space. Yeah, the idea is sort of it's a way you can get away from all the craziness. Yeah. You know, you're out of the house because no matter where you are in the house, the idea is, you know, there's always somebody yelling, Mom! Mom yeah, you can't get away you from the You can't get away from it. You know, if you just need a break, you go out to your she shed. That's cool. And that is your domain. Maybe we just Maybe. need to have a kid shed where we just put the kids. You know, that might solve the problem. You just lock them in there. <laughs> yeah. Let um, them out every couple hours. But, you know, that's sort of cool. The, the question is, you know, are these good for the family because it gives mom a break and keeps her sane. Yeah, it makes mom happy. Or is it, you know, sort of like cutting mom off from the rest of the family and like everybody just isolating themselves in various parts of the house? That's a good question. Is it better, worse? I don't know, too, because I already noticed with our family, everyone's got technology, mm-hmm. so everyone's in their own space anyway. That's true. You know what I mean? So you can all be in the same room and no one's in the same world. Yeah, so this is just a further extension yeah, of that. Yeah, I mean, at least when we're by, when we're in the same room, we're breathing the same air. That, that, that's that's true. I'd worry that's about... That's a bonding experience. Uh-huh. I'd worry about having my wife... What if she loves the shed too much, you know? What if she never comes back? She just stays out there. Who's going to raise gonna these kids because... Install a toilet. Won't be me. Yeah. And a sink... Just get a refrigerator out there. What if she realizes she doesn't really need the rest of us? Just has her own little little world. Man, McKenna, this is kind of depressing. But so the idea is, you know, should we be getting rid of man caves and she sheds? Or should we be, you know... Well, I think think the way you do it is whoever whoever has the most say in how we're decorating the house, Mm -hmm. which historically... Was that when I was growing up, the men wanted a man cave mm-hmm. because they they weren't allowed to even sit on the formal living room set. Yes, no, that's just for guests. Right, that's for guests, and they had they had to use the right <laughs> towels in the bathroom. 
so nothing felt like it was for the man in the house. So they'd always make him a little room called the man cave, the den. The den, yeah, the den. That's your and let the man go be a man. So is the she shed a subtle way of the men saying that women belong in sheds? No, I think it's a subtle way of the women saying we want another space above and beyond the rest of the space. That's minus sounds, the that man cave. More right to me. But a space that's really apart from everybody. Yeah. And I think women definitely need it because the kids seem to follow the mom a lot more than they follow the dad. They are like puppies in a way. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> and kids' hands reaching under the door of the bathroom while she's in yeah, there. There's and... that uh, like video that's been going viral on like Facebook of the mom with the like with the quadruplets. Yeah. Oh, and she's can you just like hiding in the pantry trying to like get some me time because it's the only place that yeah. the kids couldn't get to. And you see the kid like peeking their eyes underneath <laughs> the. McKenna, I think you've hit it. This is see, this is the topic of life, Jeff. <laughs> I see. It's all about life. Matt, have you ever just sat in your car with uh, some takeout and finished it off before you had to go inside oh, yeah. so the kids couldn't have any? Uh-huh. Yeah. Or I leave stuff in my car, my man car, because <laughs> I don't have a man cave. Well, I think it's a cool idea, McKenna, and I think you're on to something. But, yeah. And maybe a shed. Maybe you just put it in the backyard, man shed and a woman shed and... She shed. Have their own little spaces. Best Buy even has categories on their websites for man cave and she shed. Do they really? I got to check that out. Check it out. McKenna Bouse, you're the best. Thanks. Thanks for enlightening us. She sheds. It's the bomb. It's the new deal. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here with uh, Terry and Jeff holding down the fort, trying to give you a, a leg up in life. Last hour, we talked about she sheds. By the seashore. Sheds. Uh, sheds. How women now are, are having sheds and rooms made in their homes just for the ladies. So isn't that just called an addition to the home? Yeah. It's just an addition. But I'm looking through um, trying to find a shed for my wife. <laughs> it sounds so bad. You know, I see so many when I whenever I go to Home Depot... Yeah, but you know those aren't insulated or no. But you you, you know. can get those and you can insulate those. Yeah, I have a shed in my backyard that now I'm thinking maybe my wife would like the shed. Maybe we ought to insulate it and put her out there. I'll run that by her today. That see could how be that goes. so. It's really just a hiding place. I mean, these are living rooms, really. Some of them are living rooms. By the way, some of them are also like dog kennels. You can do anything with a shed. It's a hiding place with a lock on the door. Mm-hmm. And it's just a place where they can go, a she shed. But again, you know, men have a man cave, I guess. That's our little corner. But I We're allowed one corner. We I, get a coloring yeah, book with crayons. It. And I always felt like the rest of the house was really my wife's. And I'd say, where do you want me to sit? And she'll say, go to your man cave. She'll let you have your man cave, but <laughs> she gets to pick out the colors. Totally. Totally. <laughs> and the pillows. Uh, today, by the way, is Laugh and Get Rich Day. <laughs> nothing, nothing makes a more rich life than just some good laughter. A hearty belly laugh keeps the doctor away. Let's go 
This song chosen by Terry South as one of his favorites. Mm, no. Why are we playing this song, Terry? Apparently it's Kite Flying Day. It's Kite Flying Day! This is the day, according, well, you, could have, you couldn't fly a kite in the South last yesterday. Oh, well, you could. Well, it wouldn't come back. It would be, yeah, it'd be ripped off the string. Or it'd take you with it, whichever, with the tornadoes. That Horrible through. storms. Now the Nor'easter's coming in. A lot of the country is battling tough weather, but it's still the day you fly a kite. And you sing this song. You don't have to. No, you have to. No, really. You it's could part choose of not kite to. flying day. Okay. It's also a great phrase uh, for when you want to tell somebody to get lost. That's true. Go fly a kite. Kites have been bringing joy and relaxation since the 5th century in China. So we're really just going back yeah. to the good old days of the 5th century in China. When I was a kid, I had a Mr. T kite. Did you? It was pretty cool. Did you really? I did. Sounds awesome. Yeah. How'd we, it fly? Uh, it flew well. I bet it did. Yeah. I pity the fool who don't fly my kite. We also hooked one of my friend's kites up to a, um, his dad's boat had a automatic fishing line yeah. reel. Uh-huh. And so we put probably about two miles of fishing line on there and just let it go. Oh, how fun. Yeah, it took about several hours to bring that thing Did back. you just sit in the back of the boat yeah, in we just his sat backyard? There. And it had a pedal so you could let the line out. We just sat there and watched the kite disappear. How fun is that? And then we just brought it back. It took can, forever. Can't but. you just see, though, as you're reeling it in, that you just see Mr. T's face getting closer and closer? Yeah. Well, it wasn't, that wasn't a Mr. T kite. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Bummer. Can you be miserable while flying a kite? And I'm not talking about you know the frustrating part where you can't get it to fly yeah. or it gets all tangled. Let's say you get it up there. Cut in the tree. I'm talking about just it's up in the air, it's calm, it's breezy, and you don't have a care in the world. Well, can you be miserable then? Yes, when it hits a power line. Hmm. Hmm. I think you can get bored. I think that's why people do kite yeah. fighting. Kite fighting. Or they, cover the, they cover the kite with blades and then try to Ooh, snap yeah. each other's lines with that it. That sounds yeah. horrible. Sounds fun. Or presidents do kite surfing. Apparently President Obama. Right. I mean, it's today's the day. Go fly a kite, folks. We, we'll get to all that fun. Plus, have you ever wondered why time seems to fly by? And sometimes it's just moving really slowly. Yes. We will Every talk day about on the why show. that happens. On the show, what's funny for me, the show tends to go pretty fast for me. It, it flies right by. Well, when you're hosting. And why? You know why? Because it's information dense. We'll learn about this with our next guest. When the situation you're having, the experience you're having is dense, is full and jam-packed with information, time flies by. Is that truthful hyperbole? Yes. Okay, good. True hype. True hype. But when, when, when you're bored, like you're a checker at a checkout stand or you're running the board on the Matt Townsend show during a long interview, you don't have as much going on, so time goes a lot slower then. So what that tells me is I probably need to offload more work for all y'all. And somebody turned that clock off. It's driving me crazy. So we'll get to, we'll figure out why time flies and why it doesn't. Plus, um, also, of course, we'll do some some crazy headlines as well. We've got some fun ahead of you, ahead for you about uh, if you're a felon, you know, a little coaching for the con. 
We'll get to that. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the world? President Trump on Tuesday said he would take his immigration executive order all the way to the Supreme Court if it continues to face challenges from the nation's courts. We're going to take it through the system, Trump told reporters at a White House event with local sheriffs. It's uh, very important for the country. We'll see what happens. We have a big court case. We're well represented. The U.S. Department of Defense has filed a, a, the, or a defense of the order, and the, on Tuesday, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals heard oral arguments to decide whether Trump's order can stand. That hearing happened last night. The court will make a decision sometime this week. Regardless of who wins, there will be an appeal. Yeah. And it will move on to the next level. Defense of the order. According to a report from CNN, the White House is looking to get a new communications director to attempt to make the White House press secretary Sean Spicer's life a little easier, as he is currently taking up both roles. He is spokesperson and communications director, which is a difficult to do. That's a lot of There's talking. Lot of no wonder there. he's always so flustered and frustrated. Spicy. Unnamed sources cited in the report allege that Trump is disappointed in Spicer's performance during the initial weeks of the administration. Former Trump transition spokesman Jason Miller was initially set to join the administration as the communications director, but exited prior to the inauguration. There is a little scandal, but some stuff he may have been doing. Oh uh, the White House will continue to call media reports fake news until reporters stop attacking a duly elected president. Here is Sebastian Sebastian Gorka, deputy assistant to the president, as he talked to a conservative radio host on Monday. That there is a monumental desire on behalf of the majority of the media, not just the pollsters, the majority of the media, to attack a duly elected president in the second week of his term. That's how unhealthy the situation is. And until the media understands how wrong that attitude is and how it hurts their credibility, we are going to continue to say fake news. That's the reality. Sebastian Gorka. Wow. He is classy. Wasn't that the name of Andy Kaufman's character on Taxi? Um, I think that was Latka. Oh, okay, gotcha. Different. U.S. allies and adversaries looking for clarity on President Donald Trump's foreign policy have to wait a bit longer to get that guidance from Rex Tillerson's State Department. For the third consecutive week since Trump took office, State Department press briefings normally held every workday haven't been scheduled. No chief of staff has been named, and many of the most senior posts at the department remain vacant. By this time in the Obama administration, the State Department had given 11 daily briefings. Yeah, yeah. And that has nothing to do with who the secretary is. It has to do with the Trump uh, administration not staffing that position yet. Well, plus, too, they also have a lot of other sideshows going on. It's the State Department. You'd think that'd be priority. Oh, Mm -hmm. that's an issue. And finally. Yes. Jack in the Box. Okay. They have a new hamburger. Ooh. What? The San Diego-based food chain announces their their new limited-time burger called the Triple Bacon Buttery Jack. The sounds so good. Are you all right or are you having yes. a heart attack? Bacon <laughs> and butter and Jack. Was I don't a, know what happened. Was that an artery arms, clogging is, yeah. in real time? My then? left arm started tingling. <laughs> the, butter, the burger features bacon slices, bacon mayonnaise, and bacon butter. In addition, the burger has grilled onions and cheddar cheese. It has me aching for bacon. And the picture, even the bun looks buttery. Like Mm. somehow it has a sheen of grease upon it. So if you were like, oh, yeah, look at that greasy sheen. It just sort of glistens. (gasps) I can see my face in it. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. It seems... No, that sounded like your artery clogged sort of just out of the thought of the burger. You know what? I'm giddy. That 
that right there is a sign that there's a heaven. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well. Just don't buy the tacos. You know the old adage, if you go to Mexico, don't drink the water. If mm-hmm. you go to Jack in, Box, just, Jack in the Box, just don't eat the tacos. Why? Because they're transparent. That's true. Is that, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It's not worth that. it? You don't want a taco you can see through. Right. Instead, try the Jack in the Box, what's it called? Buttery Bacon Jack. Buttery Jack Burger. There you go. <sighs> Just looking at it. I haven't had one of those for a really long time. Do you need a moment? Yep. You've clumped. I don't even know where to put it. I got to yeah. save it. Yeah. Um, holy cow, that looks good. Oh. Uh, later in the show, by the way, Leanna Tan will be talking about attractiveness. Mm. And what I figured out is that 47 years of age, 25 years of marriage. Okay. What's attractive to me is a buttery jack. Burger. Really? Nothing this... against my wife. Love her to death. She's mm. fantastic. Right. So your your tastes haven't evolved or become sophisticated they've, over the years. They've devolved. Yeah. Especially when you're not eating as much fat anymore. Your body just starts to crave it, you know. Plus, I need that buttery bun with the sheen on it so I can... Comb my hair. Is that a spray-on sheen? It's a spray-on sheen. It's sheen in a bottle. Is that different from Trump's spray-on sheen? No. Okay. I hope so. I think, yeah, I think Trump uses His that more, bacon butter. It might just be an organic tanner. That's what he's using. Yeah, bacon mayonnaise. A little bronzer agent. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, did you hear about this Florida man escapes police car using moves that he learned on cops? One of my favorite shows. Florida man... Managed to get arrested, uh, and he broke out of a patrol car and then fled, all because of what he learned on the TV show Cops. Hmm. Wood started his night by diving headfirst through an open car window into a passenger seat of his girlfriend's car, which he took out, which took out uh, control of, then nearly striking an officer and then crashing the car. So he was tasered, handcuffed, and put in the patrol car. Wood's antics didn't end there. According to police, Wood managed to move the handcuffs from behind his back and pry open the door. Wood escaped, climbed a tree, all, by the way, while still handcuffed. And then he either jumped or fell out of the tree, they're not sure, (laughs) and suffered some minor injuries. Um, He's now facing an array of charges, but he attributes all of those moves to things he learned on the show Cops. So where did people get these ideas for evading police before the show cops. Well, we did some digging into our archives, and we have found an old video on this subject of how to evade police officers. While most people have run-ins with the law in some form or another, very few know how to react when confronted by police officers and even fewer know how to successfully outrun the police when trying to avoid what could be a hefty prison sentence. Here are three tried-and-true ways to escape the authorities when going to jail just isn't an option, or when it's just really inconvenient. 1. At all times, wear layers of different clothing, as well as a wig and perhaps some removable facial hair because you never know when you'll need to flee on foot 
and it's much easier to shed a disguise than to come up with a new one on the run. The gallons of sweat and irritated skin will be well worth it if you escape. 2. In addition to donning extra clothing, be sure to stuff your pockets full of canine treats, because when the officers can't keep up, they're sure to sick the dogs on you. And if you have the room, why not include a ham bone or a jar of peanut butter? The ham bone will taste better than you, and the peanut butter will keep the dog's tongues busy for several minutes. And three, if all else fails, you can always rely on the time-honored rule of timeout. Calling timeout gives you a chance to take a breather, as well as provide you with an opportunity to formulate a new plan. But remember, when you're ready to resume the chase, make sure to call time in. This message brought to you by the book Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior While Evading the Police. While the world today stretches out and seemingly endless into the ether, we are bound by the places we live. A kid today can go anywhere on Google Earth. We can simulate walking down a street in Mumbai or Barcelona. Break your boundaries and learn about the world of virtual reality and more through Notes from the Kennedy Center on BYU Radio, weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back, friends. You know, Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu said, if you are depressed, you are living in the past. If you are anxious, you are living in the future. If you are at peace, you are living in the present. Today we are talking about time and uh, how sometimes it just flies by for us, while other times it just seems to kind of trickle by. Joining us is Dr. Michael Flaherty. He wrote an article um, about the subject uh, entitled, Why Time Seems to Fly or Trickle By. He is a professor of sociology at Eckhart University. Dr. Flaherty, thank you so much for being with us. Happy to be here, Matt. This is um, this is such an interesting question, I think. Everybody has had that experience where life goes by so slowly, and um, you really just wish it would speed up, and yet there's other times where it is speeding by. How, how did you get interested in this time question? Well, actually, I was in uh, graduate school at University of Illinois, and one of my professors there walked into class one day with uh, a transcript of an interview with an NFL quarterback, uh, John Brody, used to be a quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, in the interview, the, the quarterback said that oftentimes in a, during a game, he would experience all the players moving in slow motion. And he knows while he's doing this, he knows that they're not moving in slow motion. Yeah. These are world-class athletes. They're actually very quick. He understands that, but as he surveys the field, he just it seems as if everybody is moving in slow motion. And, and none of us knew what to make of this. Uh, he didn't either. He was offering it to us as kind of an interesting observation. And uh, I was busy with other projects at the time, but I filed it away. And once I uh, got done with those other projects, I said, you know, this is interesting, and I, I want to pursue this. So I started collecting 
stories like the one that he had from the quarterback, the NFL quarterback. And I just started asking hundreds and hundreds of people from all walks of life, um, what, tell me about a situation in which you perceived time passing very slowly. And I've been collecting these stories for many years and examining them for what they tell us about the perceived passage of time. Hmm. And, and it, I guess it includes stories from you know, people that were tortured uh, or suffering other intense pain to, you know, sexual pleasure to war to uh, sports scenarios. Really, it's, it's I guess, this experience of time flying by or just slowly trickling by, I guess it's a universal experience. Well, it certainly is in our society. Um, there's a real interesting research question about does the same thing apply in societies that are really different from ours? For societies, for example, that don't have clocks or calendars. Hmm. Um, and that's sort of what we're working on now. Actually, that's why I'm in Denmark to kind of work on that question a little bit together with some colleagues in anthropology here at uh, Aarhus University. Hmm. Um, because in our society, the way you perceive time passing slowly is against the backdrop of the way it normally passes, right? Right. You see it as a distortion. You see it as something different or abnormal, um, and you go, wow, it's passing slowly. And tacitly, you're saying it's passing slowly than normal, or it seems to have passed more quickly than normal. And so that, that and than normal how do you perceive that distortion if you don't have minutes, hours, uh, uh, if you don't have a clock, if you hmm. don't have a calendar against which to compare it? So that's an interesting question, and uh, we're working on it. Wow. But it, yes, in our society, it does seem to be universal. Just everybody has had both of these experiences. Sometimes in certain situations, it seems to pass very slowly, and in other situations, it seems to have passed very quickly. Now, one of the theories you talk about um, is this idea of density in the experience. Talk to us about that. Well, I think density is a key thing for us in terms of understanding this variation, Matt. Um, the, with this concept, uh, density of experience, I'm referring to the volume of information an individual is processing in particular circumstances. And this quantity is elastic because it varies with attention or concentration. And we can choose to pay more or less attention to self and more or less attention to the situation. So something like the tap that controls the volume of water from a faucet is at work here. The mind produces a specific density of experience per standard temporal unit. Uh, let me explain. Uh, by standard temporal unit, I'm talking about things like seconds, minutes, hours, days. Every second is the same from the official standpoint. Every minute is the same. Every hour has 60 minutes. Every day has 24 hours. What's different is the amount of experience these boxes carry. If you think of these standard temporal units like a series of shoeboxes, they're, they're empty and they can carry more or less experience. Um, 
the mind produces a specific density of experience per standard temporal unit by paying more or less attention to what's going on, what's going on outside of myself and what's going on inside of myself. So the density of experience is not just a function of action or activity. It includes thoughts, emotions, and other inner feelings. Hmm. And this is a key point because it helps us understand what's common in situations that on the face of it are quite different, like combat and athletic performances on one side and solitary confinement and meditation on the other side. On the face of it, these situations are really different, and yet people perceive time to be passing very slowly during both of them. In When it seems like the situations are empty of experience, in fact, they're quite full but what they're full of is attention, subjective attention to self and situation. Okay, interesting. So when when we experience something as as kind of a more um, a less dense experience, it really just means it's because we're more mindful. Well, if we are the more mindful we are, then the more experience and the more information we're bringing okay, in. Okay, so it's the inverse of that. Because like yeah. everybody's had the experience of um you know f- a car accident and everything exactly. seems to slow down or yes. a you know falling out of the boat into the river <laughs> during going right. down the rapids. So and so the, the reason that moment seems to slow down in our minds is because our brain, we probably have a chemical heightened response, and we're picking up more information and packing it into that shoebox. Right. We are paying more attention and pulling more information in than we ordinarily do. All of a sudden, we see that there's going to be the traffic accident, and um, we suddenly start taking in massively more uh, information, we start paying attention at a massively higher level than we ordinarily do. Mm. And then if you think of that box, suddenly there's a great big pile of experience per second or per fraction of a second. And that second seems to pass very slowly. We have to be careful about the chemical uh, basis for it, though, because there are lots of situations that don't involve uh, that same kind of, um, uh, shall we say, excitement. Yeah, reactivity, uh, yeah. A boring, yeah, boring night at work or solitary confinement or even uh, a Zen Buddhist monk who's meditating. Um, Interesting. Uh, yeah, because time passes slowly for them also. Exactly. And so what we have is this, what, what's common is not the adrenaline. What's common is the massive concentration or attention that the mind brings to bear on self and situation. Hmm. So then and that helps us get out of it out of otherwise there's this interesting kind of paradox because we go wow these situations are really different from each other and yet they both both kinds of situations produce this perception of time passing slowly. The thing that resolves that paradox is when we understand that when the mind concentrates and pays attention suddenly those that series of shoeboxes is full of uh, information or experience, uh, much fuller than it ordinarily is. But you can do that with excitement and danger and fear um, 
but you can also do it with calm, uh, intense concentration. And uh, it's so yeah. I you almost I always want to make a value judgment of it, right? Like, like, but you can still have time pass slowly, doing horrendously boring things. Mm-hmm. And and you can have time yes. pass quickly doing horrendously boring things. It's not. It's not. Well, if they're horrendously boring, it probably won't pass quickly. But if, but yeah, that you can be you can be doing routine things, but they have to be challenging enough hmm. not to get you to boring. Because if it gets you to boring, then you start becoming <laughs> self conscious and. The volume of experience goes up and time slows down. Um, it's sort of like uh, a, a busy night at work or a slow night at work. Yeah. Uh, the busy night at work is going to pass quickly. You're doing challenging things, let's say, but they're so, but it's routinely challenging, and you uh, can do them without paying much attention to it. Consequently, the boxes are kind of empty in hindsight. But uh, if, if there's nothing going on, then you start paying attention because you're troubled by the, the boredom of it, and uh, that those boxes are going to seem to pass very slowly. Hmm. It really is. It's, I think it's a fascinating thing. And, um, and I guess it, now you're trying to check it cross-culturally. Or if you can find groups of people, are there very many that don't necessarily have any measurement of time? It's getting harder and harder to find them. Yeah. I mean, what we're doing now is we're, we're studying the, the, the topic in other cultures and other countries, but the globalization of the you know uh, the earth these days uh, with trade and travel and tourism means that it's becoming harder and harder to find people that uh, are uh, outside of our time system of reckoning. So hmm. uh, that's a challenge, actually. Oh, it's fascinating stuff. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Michael Flaherty about time and how it flies by or sometimes just trickles by. Sounds like a lot of it has to do with what you're doing uh, with your time and in the middle of the time. Um, stick with us. We'll come back, continue the discussion, find out if there's other ways that we can move time along or, you know, does that mean if we want it to go fast, we just stay busy? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us, Michael G. Flaherty. He's a professor of sociology at Eckhart University, and uh, he is currently in Denmark doing a study about why time seems to fly by or trickle by. That's the article he wrote um, in Denmark. He's doing a study uh, trying to find cultures that don't necessarily pay attention to time the same way we do, that don't uh, use the pe- – that don't have a per-standard temporal unit. Is that right, Michael? Well, if they are, uh, you know, the increased tribal people without uh, our system of clocks and calendars, yeah, that would be right, yeah. They, they would probably just go by sunlight, sunrise to sunset. Yeah, and they uh, – if – uh, they wanted to agree to meet with someone, they'd have to point at the sky and say, let's meet when the sun is there instead of at uh, 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock. Hmm. 
So really, or it's... we'll meet when the cows go down to the river to drink in the you know because yeah. the cows go down to the river at a, so they have their own ways of organizing things but it wouldn't be on the basis of minutes or seconds or hours and uh for them it's not wednesday <laughs> so true what about um what is technology doing to our concept of time i mean i now have a phone apparently that i check 80 times a day <laughs> And so I might yeah. even be going more by my phone than I am by my time. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I, it's changing the way we think about or even define time. You know, the way you would define a second uh, not that long ago would be to say, okay, there's 24 hours in a day and there's 60 minutes in an hour and uh, there's 60 seconds in uh, a minute and then you do the arithmetic and it's uh, 18,000 so some or what is it uh, I can't do it in my head yeah. it's like one eighty thousandth of a day or something like that but we don't do that anymore it's not precise enough now a second has been defined by the National Institute of Standards and Technology in Washington as nine billion something oscillations of a cesium atom in an atomic clock. <laughs> it's and just, time for you and me yeah. is off of our phones, and uh, and the time of our phones is all synchronized by eighty atomic clocks uh, in laboratories around the world uh, that are been, have been synchronized up to produce the world time that we think of uh, today. That's kind of a conceit on our part to go back to those tribal people we were talking about today, a minute ago. But, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but for most of us, that's what time has become. Is it – does it change? Um, because I guess, too, days can fly by or they can go slowly by. I guess depending on the density of information we're experiencing is – but then as I look back on my life, I can't believe I am where I am in time. Yeah. Well, uh, time f flies in retrospect and, and for, uh, for a couple of reasons. I think as you look back on it, uh, there's been this erosion of the memory of what occurred in the past. So, for example, I could ask you, uh, what did you do on the 17th of last month? Hmm. And unless it was your birthday or something special, I doubt that you can tell me one thing about the 17th right. of last month. So a day is gone from your memory. And, and if you think about that, then the, the, the past is shrinking in your memory. And to go back to those boxes, those standard temporal units, as time passes, do you see that they're emptying out? Hmm. And they're emptying out because we're forgetting the experience that we had in those boxes. And so when we look back in time at them, uh, they seem to have gone by quickly because unlike when time is passing slowly and they're full of experience, now they seem kind of empty of experience in hmm. hindsight. So if I'm I... doing research now in prison, and prisoners experience this in an intense way because nothing happens in prison, so there's nothing to remember oh, wow. uh, most of the time anyway. And so the days pass very slowly due to boredom while they are experiencing it, but when they look backward, it seems to have passed quickly. Unbelievable. And if, but if I lived a very um, engaged life, I mean, I can imagine somebody like even President Obama that's now, uh, you know, retired 
semi and and as yeah. at least as president but he had to have had so many experiences every single day that were fairly memorable um would right. he look back and and see and and feel like it was just yesterday yeah but probably less so less so for example than a prisoner who doesn't have any of that stuff to remember mm. i think in other words time would for the prisoner looking backward would seem to have passed more quickly than for say, an ex-president who has quite a lot of things to remember and, and, and remembers those days being full in a way that perhaps someone else wouldn't. It's interesting. But, uh, it's so paradoxical, isn't ways. it? One way would be the erosion of, of memory that way, and the other way is to engage in habitual activity that you don't have to think about very much, like driving home from, on a familiar route. And then when you get home, you kind of are thinking to yourself, how did I get here? Um, because you have become so habitual with it, you don't have to think about it. If you don't have to think about it, there's not so much experience in those uh, in those uh, standard temporal hmm. units. What advice One do you... One study I did was to ask people, how fast did yesterday pass, how fast did last month pass, and how much, how fast did last year pass? And when we got their results from them back... They thought that yesterday had passed more slowly than last month, and they thought last month had passed more slowly than last year. Now, that kind of contradicts common sense because a day is one-thirtieth of the month, and a month is right. one-twelfth of the year. But the further back you look, the more you've forgotten. True. So the time seems to pass more quickly. This also helps us understand why time seems to pass more quickly as we age, because there's been more forgetting, in a sense. Yeah. Oh, that's true, huh? So as we look back, we've forgotten so much. Yeah. Is there a yeah. way to that's maximize true. life and time then? I mean, what advice do you give to, to get the most out of your time and to, and to retain it the most? Or is it just well, paradoxical? That's a question too. I mean, I, yeah, I know it. I think it is. Um, you know, one of the things I've studied uh, is our efforts to control or manipulate or customize our own experience of time or, or that of others. It's a process I call time work. And in the USA, this often in, involves efforts to avoid boredom. So, students at school, uh, employees during their commute to work, or employees at work are all, a lot of them anyway, struggling with boredom. And, and in an effort to avoid boredom, many of us try to speed up the passage of time with various homegrown distractions, strategies of one kind or another. The problem with that is that in doing that, you're hurrying through a whole bunch of your life. Yeah. And uh, I guess instead, uh, we should try to enjoy our lives, to savor our lives like a ice cream sundae. And that involves slowing things down in order to concentrate on joy and beauty here and now in the present moment. Yeah. We, but again, paradoxical, right? We'd, we want it to go slow. <laughs> and yet slow in this world seems like it's boring. But it's not boring. Oftentimes. Yeah, but it's... Yeah. Well, it doesn't have to be yeah. if you pay attention to what's interesting what's beautiful, what's what's fascinating about it. You know, it's like you're stuck in a traffic jam and you can be frustrated and focus on being stuck in the traffic jam or you can look out the window at the flowers next to you. Hmm. 
Yeah. And there are two really different ways of experiencing that situation. And again, we hear that more and more with the push on mindfulness and, you know, a lot of the Mideastern philosophy of just being present. And um, exactly. It's powerful. Is are, are all animals like this? Do do I guess? Can you tell if dogs or other animals experience time the same way? Well, the experience of time is subjective. Um, you you have to if I'm if you're one of the people that I'm talking to, you know I cannot observe directly your experience of time mm-hmm. in order to study it. People have to describe how they perceive the passage of time, and we can't do that kind of research with animals. So the straightforward answer to your question, I guess, is we don't really know. Um, but I guess it's possible to speculate based on what we know from research with human beings. Um, And I guess I would say we are human beings, that is, are uniquely time conscious relative to other animals because we are aware of our own mortality, the fact that our days are numbered Hmm. in a way that they aren't. Yeah. Um, And this produces a distinctly human treatment of the dead, for example. You think about the Taj Mahal, this amazing piece of architecture was created by a husband for his dead wife. Um, when you consider key elements in the human perception of time, self-consciousness, social interaction, language learning and culture, standard temporal units as a backdrop to contrast with distortion in the perceived passage of time, it's uh, difficult to see how that uh, applies in the case of animals. So if animals experience the passage of time, and I think that's an open question at this point, it's probably quite different and much less elaborate than mm. the human experience of time. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, so so interesting. Um, any other advice you'd give us just as the average – I mean, to me, this is going to now – you've just made my dinner discussion with my family. We will sit down and talk about time. Anything else that would be important to teach our kids? and others uh, about time? Well, the present is a kind of an interesting question to, uh, to ask about. We talk a lot about the now or the present, but if you look at the concept carefully, it proves to be pretty elusive. When the baseball pitcher Whitey Ford asked his catcher, Yogi Berra, what time is it? Yogi said, you mean now? <laughs> And, you know, Yogi was famous for his quips of that kind, but this one has got a lot of insight into it, because with each passing moment, we are stepping into the future, and the future is becoming the past. So where is now? Where is the present? As soon as you look for it, it's gone. So we can imagine it, and if we don't need to be very precise, we can talk or think about the present. But it's something of a fiction when you start uh, looking for it in a real careful way. Uh, kind of way. So true, huh? Yeah, and maybe that maybe the detail isn't as important as just the piece or the experience that uh, we're having. Michael Flaherty, thank you so much for your great insight, and uh, keep up your work there at Eckhart University. Again, Dr. Flaherty is a professor of sociology. He earned his PhD from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and teaching us about time and the passage of time. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Helping you see the good in the world and be the good in the world. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends. You know, it's always a little scary to dive into the minds of the opposite gender. But have you ever wondered what the opposite gender thinks about you? Today, one of our producers, Leanna Tan, is going to help answer one of the most difficult questions of life. What is the most attractive and unattractive thing in a guy or a girl? Okay, here it is. Relationship segment number two. To prep you all for Valentine's Day, I started thinking what you really want to know about relationships. And I got it. Before you even have a relationship, you have to know how to attract someone, right? So, to help you all out, I surveyed some young singles myself and brought to you a collection of opinions on what are the most attractive things and the biggest turnoffs of the opposite gender. What is the most attractive thing about a guy? Probably height. Really nice teeth are super attractive. His eyes. Tall. Yeah, definitely tall. I think a sense of humor. Probably confidence and a sense of humor. I like a guy who's very funny. Self-deprecating humor. A smile. Someone who's kind. Smart and hardworking. Awareness of himself. Guys who aren't full of themselves. He helps people out. When they're nice to everybody. They treat everyone the same. Like, want to get to know everyone in the group, not just one person. Super nice and genuinely kind to all of my roommates. When I saw them talking to people that maybe other people don't talk to. The small and simple things mean the most like just leaving things that they that show that they remembered something you told them in the past that they're paying attention to you all the time not just selective hearing what is the biggest turnoff in a guy mustaches longer shaggy hair bad breath when he treats girls without respect he's mean rude unkind lazy pride uh not caring about others about important issues that are going on on in the world when they ask how many kids you want to have crossing people off a checklist can't have fun and let loose they don't care to meet your friends or anyone associated with you if they don't make you a priority communication i think that they really need to be able to be open with whoever they're with only talking about himself probably when a guy's on their phone or is really into themselves and can't get over like their ego when someone is like making fun of other person that's not there i find that very unattractive what is the most attractive thing in a girl showering is important i love my wife's legs uh, i'm a butt guy b-u-t-t the way she looks her like face appearance just initially being funny is the most attractive thing eye contact or smile smile nice smile being happy because you see it in the eyes and the smile if they if they got goals and, and if they're doing something um she had stuff that she was really interested in she was she had like her own passions and interests just caring in general i think general kindness to, to people around her i like confidence i would say confident i'm uh, making eye contact and seeming like she wants to be with you be confident about herself be natural and be yourself around and smile a lot. Make a decision during the day. She knew how to carry a conversation. It wasn't just questions back and forth. Full-on conversation about topics that we were discussing. Where you feel like you're talking to a real person and not just someone that will laugh at everything you say. The stereotypical date questions are like the worst questions. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's your major? Yeah, how many siblings do you have? How old are you? Where are you from? Like, that. Okay, so what is the least attractive thing in a girl? Like being too fake. Personality of entitlement. Gratitude, maybe. Burping. She hates sports. They're nervous. They don't want to look you in the eyes. When they're dressed really emotionally, I don't like that. <clears throat> when they're mean. Not being open for uh, new things. When a girl doesn't talk to you and expects you to carry conversation, expects you to be asking the questions and all she does is answer. If she's just agreeing with every single comment and doesn't have her own take on the subject. Not engaging with your questions or not paying or paying more attention to their phone than they are to you. Constantly talking negative about themselves. Just always hating on themselves. I would say like complaining. She complains a lot about 
Other people or circumstances. Being shallow. Not concerned with the important things. Concerned with outward appearances or uh, really temporal or temporary things that they get caught up in. All right. There you go. Now you can go reconsider your life and see just maybe why those first dates are turning into nothing but burnt cash and lonely weekends. But if you guys didn't catch on yourself, even though everyone has a preference to physical appearances, there are a few things that guys and girls both found attractive. Let's face it, you can't get taller or change the color of your eyes or remake your genetic code. So if you're hunting for a Valentine this year, maybe instead of hitting the gym or cutting your carbs, work on your conversation skills, your confidence, and being kind to everyone around you. Then you'll not only attract a Valentine, but you'll also probably get some more friends. So, happy attracting, everyone. And don't forget to smile. Well, I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Top of the morning to you. Or bottom of the morning, as it may be. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We got a lot to get through. Today, by the way, we will be talking about five ways to ruin a perfectly good relationship. So if you're in the mood to blow it up, you know, we'll give you five ways. One couple will also talk about uh, is blaming Donald Trump for ending their marriage. Yes. It's kind of sad. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to dive into that. I mean, I'm sure there were other issues. You would think. You would think a presidential election would not end your marriage. But yeah. no, three, three months ago, yeah, tipped it right over, according to a 73-year-old retired prison guard who, uh, who describes herself as Democratic-leaning towards socialist, by the way. Hmm. Says she decided to end her marriage of 22 years with her husband and announced it at lunch with friends last year uh, as he was planning that he was planning to vote for Trump. And that was the deal breaker. On top of everything else. I mean, on top of everything else. And you don't even put the toilet seat down. Are you sure she didn't have a she shed? Yeah, she probably did. She probably had to go out to the she shed. We've been talking about she sheds, which is a shed for a lady. It's like a man cave, but it's a she shed. Right. Because you have to have the rhyming alliteration, whatever. Yeah. 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 Apparently they didn't have a a she she shed. Would that have saved that relationship? No. I think it might have. I don't know. I mean, it's... Donald Trump's in for four years at least. Scary. We'll talk about that. Plus, of course, visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. We'll give you some ideas on what you could be giving your lovely lady for Valentine's Day. Nothing. No, there's something very romantic that you are definitely going to want to give your wife because I know she will love it. I already asked her about this when she said no. <laughs> but yes, it would. Tired I think it. there are some people that would find it very, very a very good gift to get this. Easily, two percent of women nationwide easily would but want this. Even more than that, since the popularity of the product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah. Plus, and it's of not course, chocolate. It's not chocolate. That's the amazing part. Because some people don't want the sugary sweetness; they want something salty. Mm. It is more salty. Definitely. We'll, we'll talk about that, and. Of course, um, the hero of the day, 
all that fun straight ahead. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? The White House is reportedly weighing proposals to designate the Muslim Brotherhood and Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps as as terrorist organizations. According to reports from Reuters and the New York Times, several U.S. government agencies have already been consulted by both Option or about both options. Leaders of the Revolutionary Guard are already on a government terrorist list, but many Republicans have argued that the whole group should be added as a means of sending a message. The Revolutionary Guard is Iran's most powerful security entity. It's a it's a government agency. Really? Yeah, and they're gonna they're gonna call them terrorists. I mean, again, this is all very symbolic. And much muchly so. Yes, probably not. Essential, But the action, as well as designating the Muslim Brotherhood as a terrorist organization, would likely complicate U.S. relations in the Middle East, as many things would. Uh, moving on, President Trump defended his immigration executive order this morning while speaking to the National Sheriff's Association's winter meeting after reading the entirety of the order, which was probably really compelling to read government documents over a, <laughs> a microphone, which bans people from seven predominantly Muslim nations from entering the U.S. Trump insisted the order, quote, couldn't have been written any more precisely. Whether you're a good student in high school or a bad student, Trump, uh, he goes, you should be able to understand the ban. He went on to say this, clip seven. So there it is, folks. It's as, pl- it's as plain as you can have it. I didn't, and I was a good student. I understand things. I comprehend very well, okay? Better than, I think, almost anybody. And I want to tell you, I listened to a bunch of stuff last night on television oh, that boy. was disgraceful. It was disgraceful. So, again, bringing in TV, it's disgraceful. He's, he comprehends apparently better than anyone else. Oh, yeah. How do you, I guess, figure that out? He's a super comprehender. Super <laughs> comprehender. So. Wow. President He's, Trump. Okay. Obamacare, Affordable Care Act, call it what you want. Republicans still want to repeal it. Or, you know, what do they call it? Repeal? Now they're saying fix? or uh, Yeah. Review. Repair, repair, I think is what they're trying to say. But one third of Americans haven't figured out those two names refer to the same law. A new poll from Morning Consult was found. The poll published Tuesday revealed that 35% of Americans are unaware that Obamacare is just another name for the Affordable Care Act. 17% of respondents thought Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act were two different laws, while another 18% simply weren't sure if the two names meant different things. Hmm. So that may have been a messaging issue upon the former administration right didn't quite get that message out or the confusion caused by giving it a nickname and <laughs> deciding which one to run with and finally a federal court has ruled the fbi in the fbi's favor in a dispute with the city of seattle over whether the city can disclose in response to public records requests the location of fbi surveillance cameras affixed to city-owned utility poles oh boy so they have security cameras on these poles foia act questions so should they be able to disclose and the court ruled in the fbi's favor among the federal agency's arguments in support of, of surveillance secrecy was the bizarre contention that to reveal the location of the cameras would be a breach of the privacy for the people the cameras are recording because those people have yet to be charged with any crime okay so that's a weird ruling yeah I mean, you'd think they would do it for other reasons, security reasons, but the FBI probably, I would assume, has a has some order from the court probably. allowing them to do this. Yes, but they're attached to city phone poles. That's the that's that's where the FOIA request comes in. It's on your property. Yeah, it might be a federally owned camera, but it's on a city owned piece of property. Right. So 
we'd like to have those those tapes. And they say no because we're recording people. Yeah. And yeah, we might have arrested them, but before that, they hadn't committed a crime yet. So there's some expectations <laughs> of privacy there. <laughs> sure. Boy, this is getting complicated. Very complicated. I mean, it used to be that the FBI could just bug your phone and yeah. nobody knew. All these lawsuits. All now, the time. FOIA <laughs> requests. We want to know whose phone is bugged, or we want to know where that who that's on a poll that we own. So we yeah. want to know what we're taping there. Huh? Crazy stuff. By the way, it is Laugh and Get Rich Day. Today is the day we celebrate <laughs> a little laughter and a little richness, a little money making. Now, the richness doesn't always come from money, right? It could just come from having a better life because you're laughing away the blues. Hmm. Right? Maybe the politics and the world of Trump dumb is getting you down. Is it better if you're laughing at somebody or with somebody? How does that work when it comes to richness? That's a yes. great question. Yeah. It probably helps either way. Because <laughs> it does create this dopamine, right? So then yeah. you feel all good. It's probably better to laugh with somebody. Oh, okay. And then together laugh at another human. Oh, there says we go. Who? Says who? Says Donald Trump. By the way, it's also Kite Flying Day. Today's the day you go get your uh, Mr. T kite out of mothballs. I don't know where that went. That was a good kite. Don't you remember? I had a great kite that I never flew because I didn't have string. Ah. But it sat in my room. I think the Mr. T kite said, I pity the fool on it. I'm sure it did. Yeah. I pity the fool that flies me into the power line. Eat all your greens now. It's a, it's a great kite. Kite flying day. By the way, 5th century. This is this is a very old ritual. Yes. And nothing better than a dad and his child, mom out there flying a kite. Boy and his dog and the kite eating trees. Yeah. Sorry. You kind of took it down. It's just Charlie Brown. Made it really negative. Hey, uh, yesterday... If you're not going to fly a kite, another thing you might want to have is just a little boa constrictor maybe or just a little python, maybe a little ball python. Mm. There's a story out of Abilene, Texas. I've been there. Really? Yeah. Uh, A woman was playing with her snake. I swear we talked about this yesterday. We talked about it after the show. Yeah. And I saw it the day before. It's It's kind of creepy. We'll put it up on uh, the Dr. Matt Tweets site. Um, It's called Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's what it's called. Let's put it on that Twitter feed thing. And um, the video is unbelievable. The snake is just a beautiful python. Mm. Not large. No. But probably a couple inches, you think? Maybe a foot long. Foot long. A couple inches around. Yeah. Um, But as it was climbing on its owner – People just, put their snakes around oh, yeah. their neck. It, and the owner was just them. cuddling with it. I mean, yeah. who doesn't do this, right. really? And the snake, you know, they, they tend to want to go in a hole or a dark place. So it was it, – it went – This the woman that was holding the snake had um, these gauges in her ears. So earrings, you may have seen them, but they stretch the ear a little bit more and they the open lobe, the yeah. ear lobe. They open the ear lobe up. So her – the snake actually went in through that hole in her ear lobe. And was trying to slither through her hole in her earlobe and got stuck. So what do you do? I mean, I'm asking you, yeah. Terry, what do you do when you're, you are got a snake stuck in your earlobe? 
I personally question all the motivations that led up to this moment in my life and, and maybe some choices that I need to – Why did I gauge and, my ears? Yeah. Why do I have a – I think at that point you just rock it. It's a cool piece of body modification now. It's Well, it's alive too and it's stuck. Way cooler right. that it's alive. Because snakes, they go in but they don't come out the same way very easily, right? Cause, right. Yeah. So, so – They go backwards well. Yeah. So she, she then started feeling that her ear was tearing. Mm. So she went to the hospital. And when she got to the hospital, they uh, they took care of it. They had to stretch her earlobe a little bit more and maybe grease up the snake and slit it right out. And got it right out. Yeah. And all was well. Okay, that's story number one. Story number two, guy walks into the restroom hmm. in Abilene, Texas. Guess what happens? What did he do? Sees a rattlesnake in the toilet. Uh-oh. We'll show that picture as well. Nothing could be worse then a long, slithering snake killer in the toilet. It was a rattlesnake. That's a killer snake. Yeah. Well, you go sit on it. <laughs> That's – you go – so what do you do? How do you get a snake out of your toilet? You go find mom because that's what the kid did. She told the boy to fetch a shovel. There you go. And she took care of the snake. That's right. Just chop its head off. Make so a, you got one boot out of that. Snake. You got one woman wearing it as jewelry. You've got another woman taking it off, the, you know, yeah. with a shovel. <sighs> There's the rest of the rattlesnake story. Did you see that? The rest of the story for the yeah. rattlesnakes. Well, the, that one. Yeah. Here's the rest of the story. Then they called some uh, snake, snake handlers. Snake handler for the extra peace of mind. The mother called Big Country Snake Removal. Which, of course, that's what you would call it in Texas: Big Country Snake Removal. And they, uh, it's first in the phone book. It'd be under B. If you got one snake in your toilet, right after Acme. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> if you got one snake in your toilet, you're bound to find more. So the inspector came in, doing some snake wrangling, mm. found 24 rattlesnakes on the property, 13 in the cellar. Ten under the house. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. That five, was the handler. Five babies. Yeah. That was, that was a personal recording. And then the toilet snake. The toilet snake, yeah. 25. <laughs> Mom, I keep flushing. <laughs> it won't go away. And it just doesn't go down. <laughs> it's not going down, Mom. Go get the plunger. Yeah. 25 snakes later. That's gross. <sighs> kind of scary. What, what do you think? Is there something the homeowner did to attract the snakes? Is there something they didn't do? Mm. Is it just something that happens in Maybe Texas? Maybe it's what happens in Abilene. Yeah. I've been there. I told you yeah. that. What happens in Abilene stays in Abilene. I lived in an apartment complex. It was different. Did but. you have snakes? Um, no. Yeah. Did you check the toilet? Uh, yes. Always check the toilet. We had several fires. Did you? That was, that was just the neighborhood kids lighting the mailbox on fire. It's cool. I'm not going. I am not going. To Texas without checking the toilets now. Okay. Because. You you may want to look just just as you make it part of your daily habit. 25 rattlesnakes. Hmm. And then some lady's wearing one around her ear. Is that. One too many snakes? Two too many? How much? What what is your limit? When when is a snake one too many? I love snakes. I think snakes are great in the desert. But once they're in my toilet. Okay. So one is too many. I get a little creeped out. Okay. Well, to each his own. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. You got to watch out, folks. We're here to help you. Make sure that you live longer by staying out 
of the the rattlesnake huh. world. We will take a break. We're coming back. When we come back, we'll be talking about five ways to ruin a perfectly good relationship. One way, obviously, is rattlesnakes. But we'll give you five others. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Helping you live longer and lead healthier lives. We'll be back. Has there ever been a time in your life when you thought everything in life was going perfectly only to have it all come crashing down the next day? You might think that the relationships in your life are going really well, but in reality, you could be on the brink of disaster and not even know it. You may have habits or expectations that are slowly driving people out of your life. And uh, so here to help us uh, to sort through this is Professor of Psychological and Brain Sciences at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Dr. Susan Krauss Whitborn joins us to walk through five ways you can ruin a perfectly good relationship. Thank you again, Susan, for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure, Matt. Uh, Always enjoy our chat. We love having you back to pick your brain. Talk about – I mean, relationships are complicated anyway. I don't know if you heard the bad news. A couple now is um, attributing or giving the credit to Donald Trump for causing their divorce. Oh, I can can see that. (laughs) She's a strong Democrat. He's a Republican. He's voting for Trump. And that that was the final straw. Wow. Yeah. But, you know. You can't blame yeah. everything on Trump. No, uh, it was probably the final straw, as you just said. That's right. It just tipped the scale, didn't it? What yeah. uh, when, in your in your uh, professional experience? A lot of us may not even be tuned in to what's going on or reading the right uh, signs. What what should we be paying attention to to know the health of the relationship? Well, I, I you know I think that's a great question. Uh, but even prior to that, is this idea that you're you can take any relationship, a close relationship, a working relationship, a friendship, and you can quote-unquote ruin it by by things that you do that you're not paying attention to um, that are kind of condemning it. And so the way you can look to see how this is coming down with your partner is is get out of your own mind and really take a look at what's going on with your partner. I, I just wrote a, another blog yesterday on a related topic, which was um, ways to you know, sense, be empathic to your partner's moods and not just impose your own mood onto your partner. And I, I think that's part of it as well, is dissociate from your own mind and what your perception is and try to put um, the other person's, uh, you know, see through the other person's eyes. Mm, yeah. To like, yeah. Get into their world. Like, what's it like to be married to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You don't realize the signals that you're sending out. Um, and we all do that, you know, and in a good relationship, that's okay. Uh, you've got room to mess up every now and then. Um, but I was thinking in, in this, uh, how to ruin a good relationship is you can take a perfectly good relationship and you can undercut it by um, doing these things like violating trust, um, failing to build loyalty, um, pushing your own standards instead of that of your partner, um, and then what we just said, not seeing your own foibles. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's 
That's very real. And sometimes you're just so busy and inattentive, you're not even noticing that you're taking something that's healthy and just breaking it down. Let's get into the five ways to ruin your closest and best relationships. The first one you say, make demands that the other person live up to your standards instead of their own. That's right. Uh, so you're, you're, you have a certain way of doing things and you have a certain uh, – mental set about things and you expect other people to go along with them and uh you're not then looking and seeing what what they want um you're just uh really coming very top down heavy on them mm. and it almost feels like um that the, the, there's this universal standard I've heard my clients say this, that I'm not asking him to do anything amazing there. I'm just asking him to do what most people think is normal to do. Mm-hmm. And the reality is there there is no I, – I mean, I don't – maybe there is – a universal standard for how to do the dishwasher as the ultimate, you know, joke. But we – they're really – it's kind of my way and your way, and we need to figure out a new way, a healthier mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's this idea that somebody has to you, – you're asking them to live up to an ideal – um, instead of taking into account their, act, you know, what their actual abilities, experiences, views, and opinions are, hmm. is there um, is there a way to to politely give feedback so that you can at least hopefully help them pick up their game, um, or should we just accept uh, that's them? Well, it depends who the they are. I yeah. mean, if, we're, if we're talking about yourself, then um, you want to ask if you're um, being overly um, rigid in, in the standards that you have. So the dishwasher is a good example. Um, but, you know, if you're constantly saying you have to be this way, you have to be this, the other person is going to resent it. Mm. So, so, again, it depends who the they are, but if the they is you and you're doing this to the person, then um, you need to start to understand what it is you're doing. If if you're the one having it done too, which is, I think, your question, yeah. how do you communicate this back? Um, I think at a, not in the heat of the moment, but letting the person know that these are these are just way, standards that you – you can't, you know, you're never going to be that person that they're wanting you to be. And is there a way to work out a compromise? And and they might not even realize that they're doing this. And that's why I said ruin a perfectly good relationship. They think everything's fine. They don't understand what it does to you when you're having these standards imposed upon you. Yeah. And, yeah. And how you feel like you can't even rest anymore in your life. Yeah. You, you feel inadequate. Yeah, and and because it is a perfectly good relationship, it's not. It, it's, the assumption is it's not one that is tanking like the one you just mentioned with the right, right. <laughs> people who disagree about politics. It's a good relationship. Um, it's just that it's getting eroded in these small ways that you're not even aware of. Yeah, I guess that's part of this, huh? Is just recognize that um, this is a long term commitment. This is a long term. Uh, approach and it 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 doesn't mean I can't improve as I go it doesn't mean I wouldn't want mm-hmm. to improve mm-hmm. but um I guess there's something too just about the idea that you're already I mean early in a marriage expecting me to to make all these changes for you right 
Um, but 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 again, it's like everybody is approaching this, I think, with goodwill, right? And they think things are fine. It's this realization things weren't fine, and that's what you started out saying, you know, at the beginning. Is I think everything's fine. Why are you <laughs> leaving me? Yeah, right. <laughs> what? What's the yeah, big deal? What, what, yeah. what did this happen? That's really uh, good. And um, another point you bring up, number two, is we fail to build trust and loyalty. Is it, it? Do we just think that trust and loyalty are inherent? They just happen like a magical fairy brings us trust and loyalty? Is that the problem? Well, um, the study that I was citing um, done by uh, Gwendolyn Seidman uh, looked at intrinsic versus extrinsic qualities in a relationship. And uh, most people do value warmth and loyalty, but you can easily get distracted by the extrinsic qualities. And so really what you want to do is focus on um, the deep underlying bonds between you and your partner, and not just about how attractive they are, um, you know, how glitzy they are, how much fun you have with them. It's really getting, cutting into that basic uh, feeling that connects you to this other person that you can only get with this other person, no one else. Because hmm. that's the funny thing about that, the, the intrinsic, I mean, it's easier to measure a tangible than the intangible. And so a lot of the things that make relationships really powerful tend to be intangible. They tend to be subtle. Yes, but they are unique yeah. to the end of that person. Like you can find an attractive person anywhere, you know, pretty much. Um, but that, it, and if that's what you're seeking, you know, that's fine. Uh, but in close relationships, what really matters are the deep bonds that connect us to each other. And is um, one of the questions I get asked a lot is, can you rebuild trust? So if your spouse has done something that, you know, blows up the trust and mm-hmm. you feel like you're not as loyal to them or you can't trust them, um, is that rebuildable? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was saying about, you know, throwing your partner under the bus um, <laughs> when you, uh, you feel like that they're not really helping you um, and and it is difficult to rebuild trust. Uh, it can take years mm. um, in extreme cases, depending on, on what happened and, and depending on how forgiving a person's nature is. Um, and some people are capable of amazing levels of forgiveness. If you're lucky, uh, you're with someone like that. <laughs> yeah. We're all going to screw up. Right. <laughs> you know, it's inevitable. And, um, it, you know, the more someone understands that, the better. But, but sometimes there are um, don't just hope that they're going to forgive you. There are actually things you can do to um, to to rebuild it. It's just there. It's going to be a lot of questioning involved in that. And you got to want to rebuild it. You do. Because if yeah. not, you'll just keep interpreting everything they're doing as a way that yeah. See, I can't trust them. Yeah, but but again, that's where we get to the intrinsic quality. Mm-hmm. Is if this person is so important to me, I couldn't find this with anybody else on the planet then you're going to try to find a way to forgive that person. Yeah, and let yeah let stuff go. Interesting, interesting. We're yeah. talking with Dr. Susan Krauss-Whitborn, and we are walking through her five ways you can ruin a perfectly good relationship. Many of us, you know, you've got a great relationship, and there's just some things you're not even paying attention to. And so we'll come back, continue the discussion, give you three more watchouts, things to pay attention to. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you love healthier and longer lasting relationships. We'll be back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. If you've got a great relationship and you want to make sure it stays that way, listen up. We're speaking with Dr. Susan Krauss Whitbourne, um, who's a professor of psychological and brain sciences at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. And she's talking to us about an article she wrote uh, titled, Five Ways You Can Ruin a Perfectly Good Relationship. We appreciate you uh, being with us. Thank you, Susan. Yeah, my pleasure, Matt. Uh, always a pleasure. I know, this is fun. When we talk yeah. about it, by the way, I was going to ask you, th- these principles, they're not even just like you said earlier. It's not just marriage. It could also be any relationship at work. I mean, we've got to pay attention to the relationship more than we do. Exactly. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that because I wasn't just thinking about marriage. I was thinking about um, all, all kinds of relationships that we have where um, – and it works really well, I think, with coworkers um, or colleagues because there, um, obviously, well, hopefully, you don't have the same kind of uh, intimate bonds that you have with your partner. Right. Um, and so the trust and loyalty are going to, I think, play an even more important role in a way because we we need each other uh, to support each other. And if you've got a colleague who's constantly um, undercutting you, um, it, however good well, it started out, it's, it's, it's going to go south from there. And that could have some really um, severe consequences for right. your life. Well, and, and again, we relationships, that, a lot of the research on relationships at work show that having a really good friend at work, you know, increases your productivity, increases your health even. It mm-hmm. makes the day go faster, someone to rely on. And so... You know, keeping these people there definitely will, in, in a strong relationship there, will impact you in, in a lot of different ways. You've already mentioned that we need to make sure that we, we don't kind of push our standards and, and demand that they be like us. Mm-hmm. We've got to be careful not to, to, to make sure that we keep building trust and loyalty and to fixate on um, – one of the points is fixate on external trappings more than on what really counts. I mean, again mm-hmm. – it's easy to get caught up in the numbers. It's easy to get caught up in uh, something, I guess, more tangible than some of the deeper things that matter to us. Yeah, and, it, and at work, it, it can be hanging around with the person who you think is going to advance your career. Right. Um, and uh, you know, leaving the other people behind. I mean, that's um, a very common mistake that people make is, um, is to get ahead. Uh, you know, trying to push out over over other people who might even have been their friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you never talk to them again, and well, look what happened. And, but there's going to be water cooler talk. Water cooler talk that will get you <laughs> every time. Yeah. Um, so it, it, yeah, it doesn't take long before people sniff this kind of thing out, and um, you may get ahead in some ways, but you're at what cost? You you also mentioned we got to be careful that what you got to. You've established trust, and once you've kind of established this trust, be careful not to violate it. I mean, trust isn't—it's not—it's not just some commodity you can just go buy more of at Home Depot. Mm-hmm. Right, and and it does include things like talking about somebody behind their back. I mean, that's a classic way to ruin trust. Um, right there. I mean, we're not even talking about cheating on, on someone. It's it's going, trying to and run around them um, and do, do things that you hope they won't notice. And then when they notice it, the, the, you know, they're bound to be mad. And so that's a way to, to violate trust uh, big time. So big. In fact, um, there's nothing I think more powerful than maybe talking to somebody at a party and hearing through the grapevine that your partner, your spouse was talking really positively about you. 
I I always suggest to my clients, you know, try to influence your partner by by you know through the grapevine, through the friends. I mean, to see a couple that you can really tell revere each other because they talk so positively about each other. Boy, how mm-hmm. how empowering is that? Exactly, and uh, that is that. That's exactly what we're what we're saying is that uh, talking smack about your partner or your coworker or your in law, um, it's it, it's it's going to get back to them, and and so it's it's a definite no no, uh, and but also if if you feel the need to do so, you might wonder why. Right. Yeah. And and I mean, I guess one of the things that comes down to, to all of this is we we need to be paying attention to our relationships and our and the people that matter to us. We also um, your fifth rule is you got to make sure that you see your own foibles yeah. and 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 find your your own mistakes, your own errors. I mean, if you think you're not making any mistakes in your relationships, it seems like that very thought is part of the problem. Yes, and of course that's where we get into our friend narcissism which always manages yep. to creep into the conversation. Um, but people high in narcissism go around with their nose, you know, stuck up in the air. They're so perfect. Uh, and they, they truly cannot see themselves uh, accurately. They spend so much time looking in the mirror, but they're not really seeing themselves. And you almost, I mean, you can ask for feedback, right? You can openly say, help me, help me see what I can't see. What are some things I could do to make the world better for you? Um, why don't we ask that? I think we're scared to find out the answer. Yeah. Time. It's scary. <laughs> uh, then then we realize we're not perfect. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, it, it's much easier to protect yourself through, uh, you know, your old defense mechanisms. Um, and, uh, unfortunately when reality strikes, it's going to strike really hard. Uh, the more you've built up those defense mechanisms. Yeah. Defenses, I should say. Is um, and then it's interesting in a relationship. These also become habitual. It seems like kind of the pattern that we both end up running by. But the pattern, if it's not healthy, I guess it'll run you down either way. Mm. It's just going to wear you out. It is, and and uh, I, you know, I, again, I keep going back to ruining a perfectly good relationship. I didn't say a perfect relationship. Right. One that is 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 in pretty good shape, and um, so because of that, I think too sometimes we take for granted that it will always be in good shape, and we can step on it and smash it and do anything we want to it, and it's never going to go away. Now it's it's nice to have that feeling of of confidence in your partner that they'll accept you uh, within a wide swath of uh, mistakes that you could make, but. You know, pretty soon you start taking it for granted, and then that's that's when you, uh, I, I think things get start to get ruined uh, without your awareness. Yeah. If you if you were going to give us advice, what would be the number one thing we should do as we wrap up to um, to make sure we're not you know stepping on the toes of a perfectly good relationship? I, I do think it is that looking at yourself. And and making sure that the standards that you're imposing upon the other person are ones that are consistent with that person's strengths and abilities rather than what you hope they could be, which they aren't. Yeah, good stuff. And see the good. See the good, for heaven's sakes. Well, Dr. Susan Krauss Whitborn, we appreciate you. Keep up your great writing there. Again, Psychology Today is a wonderful resource to find more of Susan's work. Um, 
Powerful stuff. Relationships, even the good ones, you need to be paying attention to them just so we don't uh, create bigger problems down the road. We'll take a break, come back, visit our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, helping you be the good in the world. It's that time, friends. It is time to visit with our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Their show will be uh, on air in just about 14 minutes from now. Who better to uh, to lead us in this conversation than Spencer and Jason from BYU Sports Nation? Hello, gentlemen. I only have one correction for you, sir. What, what, what? It's 12 minutes and 48 seconds, Holy to be God. precise. Wow. Good good job. You're yeah. welcome. Is your clock right there, right in yes. front of your face? Yes, it is, as a matter of fact. By the way, we learned about time, why time goes so fast and so slow at different times. Ooh, like the mentality behind that? Uh-huh. Ooh, what, the, what, the what's psychology. the uh, verdict? Well, uh, you could listen to the show or okay. Okay. you could— That's a tease. It's, about, tease. it's about density. It depends on what you're doing in the density moment. Density or destiny? De- density. You are my density. <laughs> I, she looks at him, what? She's like, huh? That went so slow right there. Hey, you know we have George McFly on the basketball team for BYU? No, really? Yeah, his name's Peyton Dastrup. Does he look just like George McFly? He's got the George McFly hair. Oh, my heavens. I've got to look him up. I love – that's my favorite movie of all time, Back to the Future, and I love his laugh at the beginning. He's watching the TV <laughs> show. He's like, ah, 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 I know. Ah, ah, ah. Oh. <laughs> With those pauses in between. Yeah. Crispin Glover. I, I mean, so good. He's so weird, though. He is weird. Where did he go? I don't know. The last movie I ever saw him in was the remake of Charlie's Angels. Oh, wow. He was the uh, like the thin, the, the thin man in that movie. That was his character's name. The Thin Man. Yeah, beyond that, I don't know where Crispin Glover has gone. Okay, here's a question for you, a little okay. trivia. Um, okay. Charles, who Charlie's Angels, Charles, mm-hmm. what is his last name? You stumped me. Yeah, I didn't know he had one. Uh, he does. Me. His name is Charles Townsend. Townsend. Oh, are you were really... <laughs> He's <Thus>. my daddy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's my daddy. I'd always go to his office and these angels would be there. <laughs> They're calling you Bosley. That's right. Yeah, Bosley. No you wanted to visit him at Bosley his worked so for my father. <laughs> hey, I'm going to go see my dad at work again. Yeah, you just don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it. It's really important work. That's right. That's why Farah was my first girlfriend. Oh, well done, sir. This is Thank a lot you. of people's first mm-hmm. imaginary girlfriend. You got it. Hey guys, have you already got your um have you already got your uh Valentine's Day gift? Yes. Have My you? wife yes. is listening, just, yes. Just in case <laughs> one Brittany Linton is listening. Absolutely, I've got it taken care of. It's been planned for months. Oh my heavens. Okay, so is it what we talked about? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So let me just let Brittany in on it. Okay. Um, Brittany will be receiving a Valentine's Day gift of a bouquet of beef jerky roses. Oh, right. They call it the brocade. Oh, I would love that. Um, it's it really it is it's flowers shaped um, in beef jerky, and they're on stems. <laughs> well, um, of course, flowers die quickly, but beef jerky lasts for a really really long time. Are the stems uh, Slim Jims? Yeah, the stems are probably Slim Jims. <laughs> You're so right. And um, a dozen. I consider beef jerky to be one of the world's uh, two perfect foods. Well, yeah. 
What does and it lasts forever? What does yeah. what says love more than beef jerky? I would I would forget the like the cookie bouquets. I mean, those are great. Yeah, whatever. And the fruit bouquets, great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If somebody gave me a bouquet of beef jerky, you mean a broquet? Oh, excuse me, a broquet. Yeah, that would be awesome. It's it. I'm telling you, they're right there, and they're beef roses, right? You can probably get it in any flavor, but I'm, of course you're going to go with the beef. Well, Every jerky loving recipient. We'll find them clever and even more importantly, thoughtful. Snap into a slip jib. Oh yeah. <laughs> Where does one get a brocade? You have to look it up online. Okay. Oh, I'm doing that right Is now. Is it spelled B R O Q U E T? Yes. Okay. <laughs> there you go, Jason. Brocade. But I can't order one for myself. Broquette. Just weird. Well, no, I'll order it in behalf of your wife for you. My wife thinks the smell of beef jerky is disgusting. Well, to tell her it'll smell different when it's in your mouth. <laughs> see how that goes. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> just see how that goes. I'm just throwing that. I mean, I am, I am the only guy with a doctorate here. That is true. You know, you, I, no one can argue that. You got us there. That's you it. have us there. I'm here to help. Yeah. Hey, are you guys still doing your show? We are. What, what, that, what's that on, we are. What are we talking about? You'll be proud of us today. What? We're having uh, an, a good old-fashioned goal-setting recalculation oh, for BYU basketball. Good, okay. We're going to readjust some expectations okay. and go forward with faith, Matt. <laughs> oh, good. So, okay. Is this a DTR show? It's Are we DTR. defining the relationship yeah. Absolutely. Show? We're defining our relationship with BYU basketball <laughs> right now. To move forward. How, yeah, good. That's good. That's always handy. And then you can lower expectations and then feel better or raise them, depending what you want to do. That is true. I yes. have a feeling you're going to be lowering ed- expectations. Well, I don't know if it's considered lowering. It's just readjusting, right? <laughs> it's just being real. You're going to be realistic. <laughs> just, as the kids like to say, we're just keeping it real. It's just readjust- okay. we're readjusting. That's good. That's good. We also have an NBA alumnus with us. Cool. And he joins us just about every week. His name is Jeff Judkins. He's one of a kind. Jeffrey Judkins. That's okay. cool. We're going to ask him about everything from his newfound fandom of Lady Gaga <laughs> to how much he loves the Patriots because he played for the Boston Celtics yeah. for two years yeah. to a very personal story about how he helped one of his former players get to a Duke, North Carolina basketball game as part of her bucket list. She's battling cancer. Oh, that game happens I saw tomorrow. that. Oh, okay, really cool. that's cool. Yeah. yeah. We're also going to talk a little, uh, little BYU tennis, mm-hmm. BYU softball, who, by the way, is in uh, Puerto Vallarta yeah, right they're, now. They're in Holy Mexico. in Mexico. Yeah. That's good living right there. So, uh, yeah, we've got, uh, we've got all sports covered today, really, if you think about it. And you're going to bring up the beef jerky. And you're going to bring up the brocade? I don't know if I want to because I don't want people to buy them all before I can get mine. Yeah, you don't want that. I mean, like, that's as soon as people find out that's even an option, that's gone. I believe it's pronounced broquette. <laughs> Honey, I got you a beef broquette. You mean a biscuit? <laughs> nope. I mean a broquette. Okay. Hey, this is um, that's going to be a great show, number one. Yes. But I think if you really want to keep Jeff Judkins coming back, you mm-hmm. give him a broquette. Yeah, I think Juddy'd go down. He'd, he'd be down for something like that. I mean, he's a sensitive guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? He'd and be down for something like that. You can show the love. It's not either or, guys. It's and. How can, like you, love, how can you love Jeff and let him be manly and get him a broke? Well, there you go. Okay. See? That's what we bring you. <sighs> You're welcome. Only the son of Charles Townsend mm-hmm. Charlie could Angels. do something like that. 
Hey, if you guys want to come with me to my dad's office, I'll hook yes, you up. Yes, we do. I'll just let you meet the is girls. Is Farrah going to be there? <laughs> yeah. Farrah's <laughs> gone, but Chrissy's there. Oh, okay. Jacqueline Smith. Jacqueline was always the quiet one. She was the quiet one, yeah. yeah but Yeah, she's uh, there. She's yeah. there. And then what was the other one's name? The one that was oh, really... Oh, Kate Jackson. The one that went on to one. be in Scarecrow and Mrs. King? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody grew up on TV. Jason, you know way too much about this. <laughs> this is great. Like, anyway. It's good, but wow. Come on because over. I can't be the only one that remembers Scarecrow and Mrs. King with Bruce Boxleitner yeah, and no. Kate Jackson. That's you. Just you. I don't even remember it. <laughs> you do too. No. Stop it. <laughs> I... Yeah, Terry remembered it. It's a good show. Uh, <laughs> so oh, my crazy. heavens. Okay, guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. All right. Peace thank out. You. Be good. Yeah, Charlie's Angels. That's my claim to fame. Nobody knows that. Charles, his last name was Townsend. Colin, tell me that doesn't kill. It does kill. That's some pretty good stuff, I must say. Hey, uh, police in Florida are searching for a man stealing hundreds of dollars worth of hygiene products from a pharmacy store. That is a lot of Axe. It's a lot of Axe spray. St. Petersburg Police Department shared security camera images of the hygiene heister, they're calling him. He stole nearly $400 worth of deodorant and body wash from CVS Pharmacy. Authorities said the man... Mmm. Smells good. You smell good. What's wrong? He's trying to get the smell probably of all of the jerky, beef jerky, off of his body. Oh, from the brocade. Yeah, from the brocade. The Florida man uh, was then, um, authorities said the man entered the store, filled a duffel bag with products before leaving without paying for them. So you'll know who he is, folks. Uh, he's he's going to walk into a room, and when he walks in, you're going to be like, holy cow, that guy's got a lot of Axe body spray on. And he, if I'm a betting man, he'll probably be about 11 years old like my son that uh, thinks that if you wear a lot of Axe body spray, you don't need to shower. It's, it's, I think it's scientifically proven. It totally is. I think it's just yeah, all the alcohol in the spray kills anything on you. Um, and brain cells. And brain cells. It's, um, it's, it's, you got to watch out for them. Again, we're trying to help everybody uh, today. So be careful. Be careful. And be look, have your nose out there smelling for the uh, hygiene heister. Um, also, as you know, we always like to end the show with um, a hero story. And today's hero is a really cool story um, off of Yahoo.com. A boy pays it forward with a free toy stand in uh, in his front yard. Little boy with a golden heart was on a mission to give away his toys. Blake Work six, uh, was so determined to hold his free toy stand to allow his less fortunate children in the neighborhood to choose anything they wished from his toy pile. He, he set out all of his toys in the driveway for six hours in the hot Florida sun until people showed up to take him up on his offer, his mom said. He said, my heart was hurting because I didn't know how it would be possible. Melissa Work, his mom um, of Hudson, said, uh, told her ABC News affiliate there, we live in an older community by a golf course with all older people who are retired. There are no kids in our neighborhood. But he got his toys together. He had eight of them um, in the kitchen, and he wanted me to help him make a sign. So that's exactly what they did. And the sign basically said, cheer up, kids. Come to Blake's workhouse. We have free toys for you. 
The idea for the free toy stand first struck Blake that night before when he and his mom were having a discussion about his chores. I was running by the chores for the next day. I said, we'll play outside for the day, but we have to clean our room first, Melissa recalled. But he said, ugh, Mom, there's a lot of toys. I explained to him that those are blessings, and there's a lot of people out there less fortunate that don't have him. That's when his face dropped, and he immediately decided, I'm going to give free toys away to people. So he put it out there. The problem is he couldn't get anyone to show up, right? So Mom got it out there. They found every way they could to get the information out there, and eventually people started to show up. And... um, Anyway, his dream came true, and he started to give the toys away. Neighbors, construction workers that were doing construction in the area, they started bringing people by as well. Anyway, pretty cool story about how an entire neighborhood got together to bring joy back to people. Again, dreams. Isn't it funny how the kids know that we need to serve, we need to give back, and uh, if we could all just be like the kids, out of the mouth of babes, right? That's the show, my friends. We will be back tomorrow. Remember, the goal is to give you the tools, the information, the ideas you need to live a healthier, happier life. Also, to be able to see the good in the world because there really is so much out there good. And uh, you got to open your eyes if you want to be a part of it. We will be back tomorrow. Until then, let's make it a great one. Let's look after each other. We'll talk again tomorrow.